this week and out now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking glass. Careful, it's fragile. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly, covers the various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to the other movie topics. This is episode 350, 350. Oh, that's a a nice proper number. Yeah, 350. Yeah, that's how much you pay for a cup of coffee. That's a good way to break in. Like, we already did our top ten episode a couple weeks back but like it's a fun like hey it's our like first official movie review of the year episode and yeah, it's 350 that's fun this is true yeah. 350 look out for 450 coming in uh 100 episodes yeah exactly that's uh, good math <laughs> yeah and uh yeah for so for episode 350 we're talking glass the new m night Shyamalan Woo-hoo! film. yeah and uh joining us to discuss glass we have from first showing he's wearing his monogram necklace just for the showdown it's alex billington <laughs> hey what's up also joining us from Battleship Retention, and author of the upcoming book, Cinematic Suffering. He used to hang out with some shady characters, but now is all about positive thinking. It's Tyler Smith. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Superb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most upbeat podcast you've recorded yet. This is probably true. Well, That might be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get this thing going. Uh, glad to have you guys here, of course. Uh, I feel like it, it's been a few months uh, since, since the last showing, but, you know, you guys are here. So good up. Happy, and happy New Year, I guess, as far as podcast goes. I know we've talked, in re, you know, outside of this, but, you know, always fun to say it. Too. <laughs> and, you know what's interesting, actually, yeah. about this year um, is that uh, so at the beginning of the year, um, which I guess we're still in, but at the very beginning of the year, uh, I know that Amy Nicholson published uh, an article about how 99, which is now 20 years ago, uh, was maybe the best movie year uh, of of the modern age, which I 100% agree with. David and I recorded a four-hour episode about that once a long time ago, um, and so and and so people are are reflecting back on the movie, not just because of that article, but in general. I've seen people say like, "Wow, can you believe that the Sixth Sense is 20 years old?" or you know, "Eyes Wide Shut" or any number of other things. What I don't hear people talking about, and I was just thinking about this today, what I am not hearing people talk about is that Avatar is 10 years old, mm-hmm. which I think does not bode well for the fact that there are hypothetically several sequels coming. Like Avatar ah. is a movie that it made so much money, which is all well and good, and people at the time flipped over it, but it, I don't think it. I don't think it's uh, sticky to go with that. Like at that marketing term, I don't think it has stayed with people to such an extent that when we hit 2019, we were like a lot of the people that I know are much more interested in talking about 20 years ago as opposed to this what was seen as a, this huge milestone 10 years ago. Uh, and it was just something I was thinking about. I would add this. <laughs> okay. Uh, two things. One. Uh, I just lost the lowest the first thing. Uh, okay, the main, <laughs> I had one thing, but it's gone. It's a good thing there were two. I know, yeah, because the second thing I do know, Avatar came out in December. I just feel like we'd be talking sure. more about it when around the time the film actually came out, because it's not really 10 years. It's the beginning of this year, and that movie came out the end of 2009. And, it's, and I, I understand that, yeah, there are a lot of movies that are 20 years old, but I honestly haven't been seeing much celebration of any movie that's turned 20 as of yet, just because movies technically haven't turned 20 yet, as far as the big ones that came out in 1999. But I think people uh, tend to think as far as uh, years and not months. And maybe we just run in different uh, Facebook uh, circles. And I'm not much much, uh, part of film Twitter. But I've noticed a lot more people saying like, wow, I can't believe that so-and-so is 20 years old. And admittedly, people aren't talking about like, 
the Hurt Locker and Glorious Bastards either. Uh, but to me, because uh, Avatar was just such a huge movie at the time, you would think that more people would be like, wow, can you believe it's been 10 years? And I do think that – and yes, I realize it's it's been really only – A couple uh, weeks into this year that yeah. celebrates an anniversary of that kind. Yeah, but once but once once it hits the year, people will tend to think in in those larger terms. I think, and it's only the hardest core film nerds that uh, think in terms of month and that sort of thing. So I don't know. It's just something that I was that I was thinking about. I'm always looking for the opportunity to talk about the forgettability of Avatar, and uh, I've just been <laughs> afforded one. So thank you. Either I would dispute your claim though that this is this doesn't bode well for the sequels. Once the marketing kicks in. Do not underestimate James Cameron. This, these movies will be huge no matter what. And even if people begin to write articles about how bad the first Avatar was again, that's not going to matter, the marketing and just the return of a new Avatar, which we honestly haven't seen anything from, so we can't really say anything yet, is going to get people interested again. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And I know this is like literally every year for those 10 years, someone always tries to bring up the argument you make, which is like, no one cares about Avatar. The sequels are going to flop. And it's like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think, oh, I don't think it's nece- they're necessarily going to flop, but um, that first one set such a high bar, like as far as box office and just general response that, but and it and it did revolutionize a number of special effects and 3D technology. But I think it's gotten to the point that that level of spectacle is something that we've all seen so much since then uh, that I don't. Uh, there there might be some people that when they see the new ones coming out, they'll be like, oh, I remember that first one. I'm going to see it for for that reason, and maybe it will. Maybe I'll have the same response. Maybe it'll create that feeling, that sense of of wonder again. Um, and admittedly, uh, Cameron has surprised me in the past, but uh, at the same time, I don't know. I can't. I can't imagine it capturing the the public imagination like the first one did, which is why I find. Which is why I don't think it could possibly do as well. Um, but also, uh, Can I just throw in because I just. Figured I just don't know. If, I don't know what the what it means for like the number three and four. I guess is what I'm saying. I to, yeah. I remember my my first thing was this just has been an ongoing debate as far as that we've yeah, yeah, on the podcast I mean, before I mean. <laughs> and, and we'll keep talking about this up until the actual movie comes out. Uh, just to to comment on the last thing you're saying, I think part of the reason there's been so much delay is because Cameron is also aware that yeah he did this version of Avatar once and now he wants to do something different the next time. As far as I mean, he's talked he's teased about. Uh, movies with their 3D without having to use glasses. He's there. There's something about the oceans he's doing with Avatar. That I mean, I just think there's he. he I feel like he's working on something that is going to impress me. And yeah, and it's too I, early and, to say. And regardless of how much ego he has, as far as like he knows he can accomplish this or what have you, or any other kind of debate, I just I don't know why the perceived notion is to be negative about it. I I, I don't know why we we're thinking. There's another Avatar coming out, and the best thing I want to do here is talk about how much I dislike aspects of Avatar. Instead of thinking, hey, this revolutionary filmmaker did something revolutionary, and he kind of wants to keep doing that. I don't know why we're not embracing the idea of being ambitious. Because a lot of people I, didn't like Avatar. You say that, <laughs> a lot of but film again... People, it, it, no, it, film it, people. Film people, I mean. You're, like you're, film you're, critics and... I mean, it's a well-reviewed movie that, that no, made no, all I, the no, money. It, it's, <laughs> if you were to go on film Twitter right now and be like, how many of you like Avatar and run a poll, there would be this, like, 
it, it's also gotten this intense dislike over the years because yeah, people have distilled it down to what is it like Fern Gully with uh, blue people? Like because no movie ever has used no. other story elements from other from movies. Like, I know, I know, but I'm just saying like it. It has, was the it first has movie to recycle still plot elements. I mean that's that's what it is apparently. <laughs> well, I think that's a perfectly fine thing to do as long as you come up with memorable character. Oh shit, the Thanks one so, memorable character. I'm sorry, who? <laughs> what? The one memorable character it had uh, died, uh, which was Stephen Lang's character. Spoilers. Um, and it's uh, that's the, that I think is is the big thing. I feel like it will wind up. And yeah, like I said, he surprised me before, but I think it'll feel a lot like Matrix Reloaded, which has some really amazing visuals and stuff. But the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just thinking like, I, I don't care really. Oh man, Aaron's gonna Aaron's gonna fight you on that oh, one. Yeah, I just want to conclude this because we have to move on by saying Matrix Reloaded <laughs> is my favorite of the trilogy easily. So, <laughs> <laughs> with that, we should, we should keep going. <laughs> that's good. That's a good chat, though. What were we doing? We were going over some show notes. That's I don't know. Sorry. We just started the show. <laughs> we're going. Let's. Yeah, we haven't. Even, we haven't got to know everybody yet. We're. Not, you know what's funny is yeah. I literally. Oh my gosh, as we were introducing me, and I went like, ugh, and I kind of went into my negative character, and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be upbeat, I'm going to be positive, and then the second thing out of my mouth was uh, bashing a beloved film from 10 years ago. Which stemmed from me saying, hey guys, happy new year. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because it was something I was only thinking about, like, today. Um, but, uh, But yeah, so... And maybe and and time will I'm sure will 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 prove me wrong. We'll see. And we'll I look see. forward. I look forward to episode four hundred where you're just super chipper and everything's changed to the better. Yeah. Four hundred. So what will that be? To twenty ten, or twenty twenty, right? So it'll be like, hey guys, remember when Toy Story three came out ten years ago? That was a blast, right? It was just the best. <laughs> just be super happy and waxing nostalgic about Toy Story three. That might happen. Okay. Well, there we go. That's something we can count. We'll put that in the books. Toy Story three retrospective with Tyler Smith. For the, in the meantime, I'm sure none of the, I'm sure nobody will be talking about like, yeah, King's Speech absolutely deserved Best Picture uh, <laughs> ten years ago. <laughs> But uh, all right, let's get to some show notes real quick. Uh, first up, uh, because we are talking about Glass today, last a couple weeks ago we did a commentary track for Unbreakable, which is now available. We had a lot of fun with that. Scott Brandon and I we talked all about Unbreakable, Shyamalan, and more. Really good commentary track. I was really happy with this one for sure. Uh, but so yeah, that's up on iTunes and everywhere else you can find our show now. Also, speaking of Brandon, who was on our commentary track for Unbreakable, it is his birthday today. So happy birthday to Brandon! Happy Peters. birthday, Brandon! Yeah, um, he's instrumental in a lot of these commentary tracks. Uh, so yeah, it's a uh, you know. Great to have him as a part of the show. And all right, that's, uh, you know, and iTunes reviews and ratings, of course. So if you want to, if you if you like our nonsensical tangents about Avatar that take up a good 20, 10 minutes of the first part of the show, uh, feel free to log into iTunes and uh, search for our show out there. And Abe, give us a rating and review. That'd be great. Yes, yes. All right. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to some know everybody. Reach with gas to try the request or two. Try to set the tone for the podcast. We better get to know everybody. everybody. Uh, well, I guess I should scratch off my question. What film that's turning 10 years old do you admire most? <laughs> uh, so I have a different question. What director do you not mind seeing on screen as far as in front of the camera? Uh, living or dead? Either way, just like in, in general. When you watch films and you see the director and he pops in, is there a director you're like, oh, I like seeing. I like that that presence around. Uh, Spike Jones. So I like seeing him in uh, stuff like Three Kings and also when he's like cameoing in Moneyball and just like being this uh, hotshot guy who lives in a nice house. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun to see Spike Jones do uh, silly things. Uh, John Huston for me. Yeah. Just uh, in my opinion, he also he does play the best movie villain of all 
time in Chinatown. Um, but then also, obviously, he was in other side of, of the wind. But he also was, I think, what, who did he play? Noah in the Bible? Or did he play, I think he played Noah. I might be wrong. But, um, and, uh, you know, he didn't act very much. He was in a, uh, like a TV movie in the 70s called Winter Kills, playing a uh, an evil Joe Kennedy type. Um, and there, he just has a very specific on-screen presence uh, to such an extent that I think some people might think of him more as as an actor than a director. And I don't think that happens very often, but uh, but he just had a he, there's just a very he's very grandfatherly and seems very genial. But there's always like this very fierce, intelligent behind uh, intelligence behind his eyes. And I just make I feel like it makes it for a very fascinating uh, on screen character, no matter who he's playing. I can agree with that. And yeah, I mean, I, I certainly when I see him too, yeah, there's certainly or when I just think of John Hughes, and I do think of both, yeah, him as a director and him as a performer, because right. he just has a presence that, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I'm the last one. I got, I was gonna joke M Night Shyamalan, but uh, he just has these goofy cameos that aren't very good. <laughs> hey, we'll and talk my, about that with Glass, but yeah, I, I uh, was very. I mean, he's, he's got a serious part. part in in Sixth Sense. He's got to tell his the uh, the mom that there's something wrong. Oh, you haven't seen Glass yet, Abe? He has. A, I haven't. He, Is it goofier? He he has a character arc. I'll say that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. No, my my uh, only because this is the other thing that came to mind, and I know everyone's gonna hate this, but Michael Moore actually. <laughs> I don't mind Michael Moore when he's in the film because he's a goofy character too, and I, I kind of uh, I'm amused by him and his like weirdness ever since his first films too. He's he's always funny to see, even though I know a lot of people absolutely hate his films because he's in them, but whatever. Oh, that's not why. That's not why I hate his films. <laughs> <laughs> well, nonetheless, <laughs> I'll throw this out there. Um, I think Tyler Perry has a good presence in a lot of the films that he tends to be. Not like necessarily the Medina absolutely, films, but, but I mean, it, as like in like Vice and Gone Girl, I think he's great. Like I think he, and Vice yeah. is not even a film I'm huge on, but I do think him as Colin Powell in the movie's like, yeah, that's effective. Like he, he does the job. And I think you're going to laugh, but I think I enjoy him as uh, Baxter Stockman. Oh, yeah, and uh, Turtles. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> He's having a good time in that movie. Everybody's having oh, a yeah. good time. It's a shame that that movie didn't do better because that second one's like, oh, yeah, this is this is fun. This, this is a fun yeah. movie. <laughs> and they tease Krang at the end there, and I was like, that actually looks like a good Krang. That's, that's, that's what that looks like in live action. <laughs> that's, <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Hey, do you have a question? Question for you guys. Bearded Bruce Willis or non-bearded Bruce Willis? <laughs> the, the less beard, the better. Yeah, really. I'm with, I'm with Aaron on that. I think uh, I think the beard looks pretty good. I think the beard looks pretty good too. I don't I don't like the idea of him hiding behind his laziness with a beard. <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> if, he does, if, he, if he wants to if he wants to pretend to act, do it. Don't be a coward. Do it with, a, with a shaven face. <laughs> yes. yeah. Don't hide. So really see how much you're not caring. How many? Admittedly, I guess the the beard does further muffle his already mumbled lines. Yeah, <laughs> that's just he's wearing dentures by now. How many bearded <laughs> Bill Willis performances are there? Was he bearded? <laughs> no, he actually hasn't been bearded in any of the, the Die Hard movies, even with the. Uh... No, I'm sure that'll be in like the 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 young Indiana Jones version of John McClane stories, where he's just sitting in like a rocking chair and like telling flashbacks. <laughs> uh, was he bearded in red? I can't remember. No. Okay. Then that's, uh, a good, that's a good point. Like I, he had a mustache in Death Becomes Her, but that's the only like real purposeful facial hair that I remember. Does he put on like, uh, a fake thing in in like the the jackal or something? Oh I, yes, I think he does. <laughs> jackal. That movie's terrible, but yeah, I'm trying to. Like... He shoots off Jack Black's arm in that movie. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's what's it? That's that the um, the what just happened? Who did that movie? The uh, that's the um, is that Barry Levinson? Is it Barry Levinson or is it? It's like Barry Levinson adjacent. I think it's like something's like this seems like it would be Barry Levinson. Maybe that's what it is. Because it's like it's what like the based off the memoir of is it? Ah, that's gonna bug me. But like Willis plays like because he's playing a a version of uh, he's like like Alec Baldwin where Alec Baldwin like wanted to have a beard in the edge. And there is a big contention <laughs> over that. And Willis is playing a character that grew a beard, and now they want him to shave the beard. That's the whole thing in that movie. Art Linson. That's the person I'm trying to think of. That's the, the producer. Oh, okay, yeah. It is the director Levin. is Barry Levin. It is Barry Levin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, that was a good talk about Bruce Willis. Yeah, those are two Bruce Willis beards. That are myth. Yeah. <laughs> those are a couple of Bruce Willis facial hair things we can think of. Telling you, I don't, I don't mind it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the jury's out, I guess, then. <laughs> Bruce Willis facial hair. <laughs> uh, all right, that's how you play. No, no everybody. everybody. Let's move on. Let's go to the auto quickies. Yep. Each week, not now, there, and we got to buy one with the week. Those are the week. That's one of the weeks. Trademark. First of the year. I was pretty happy with that. It's pretty good. Yeah. Hey, but have you seen any other movies this week? I have not really seen a lot of movies, but I was watching this show on Netflix called uh, Bodyguard, probably because uh, uh, I was flipping through and it had just won the Golden Globe, and I was like, I, I wonder what this one's all about. First episode, solid. Really solid. It's about like this. Uh, former military guy who is now a police officer who gets put into secret service detail for the UK's parliamentary leaders. And uh, first episode, super solid. Second episode, two thirds solid. Last third already goes off the rails. Kind of gets a little bit, a little bit messy, but uh, I guess I'm going with it just because I'm curious to see how it pans out for the most part. Yeah. It, it's, it's stoic acting from the male lead and Richard, uh, Madden, it, Richard, Richard Madden. Yeah. From Game of Thrones. Um, stoic acting, but I, I think that first episode is super solid. So if <laughs> if you want to see anything, just watch the first episode. Based off a show that you have not completed yet. Correct. Okay. <laughs> just keeping that. Advice. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for for clarifying. <laughs> Tyler, how about you? What have you seen recently? Uh, not much, unfortunately. Um, I let's see. I finally did because I guess John Houston was just in my mind because uh, I just finished watching uh, other half of the wind, uh, and then other side of the wind. Pardon exactly. me. Um, and then uh, I watched the document, the documentary. Uh, They'll love me when I'm dead. Mm-hmm. I did watch one of the fire festival documentaries. I watched Fire Fraud on Hulu. Which I thought was very, uh, very well done. It could have been so uh, mocking, um, and at times it is. It's a little bit arch, but I think it actually looks for the opportunity to make larger points about millennials, both how they're viewed, whether it be fairly or unfairly, um, and how the fire festival might not have been possible with a different generation, partially because social media played such a huge part of it and the concept of influencers. Um, and it's just so it's very comprehensive in the number of people that it, uh, interviews and it's just a, a well put together documentary. I mean, I'm very interested now to watch the Netflix one just to, mm-hmm. to compare the two. Spoiler alert. I watched the Netflix fire documentary <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I watched mainly cause it was from Chris Smith who did American movie. I'm like, Oh, well now I need to watch this. Cause mm. that movie is fantastic. But he also did that, uh, that Jim Carrey doc, the man on the moon documentary, which is like, Oh, that's fine. Mm. Um, so I, I did watch fire. Uh, I forget the whole title because it's needlessly long. Um, but I, 
like as far as like it's it's well made enough it's just more it's so angering <laughs> to watch just like yeah. this one there's there's less of a like what yeah from what i've read about the hulu one is basically everything you described as far as it's trying to make larger points this one just seems like more of a straight on we're taking this story we're giving you multiple people that were involved and telling you what went down without having to connect it to much of a grander theme or purpose um at least from how i viewed it and it it's 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 made well enough. It's just also it's kind of infuriating to just see like a lot of people doing a thing that where there's just the, the the results are going to be so dire, and because you already know that going in, and you're watching people describe it from after the fact, it's like wow, how did we how did we get this far? But yeah, I mean, it it's 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 made well enough. I wouldn't say it's like a, a must see documentary. It's more like a curiosity, which is, I think how a lot of people are viewing just the nature of this in general and i think it only became more popular be- because of the fact that hulu decided to be like hey we're going to also release ours on the same week as netflix <laughs> so it's I, I i think the the prospect of seeing something that combine you know that that has two competing documentaries i think that makes it inherently more interesting than just the fact that it exists to begin with but mm-hmm. yeah as far for, for where i stand right now i've just seen the netflix and i'm like yeah all right it's it's good enough it's it's, it's you know interesting to watch so, sounds like the it's hulu like, one's like... winning Sounds like what? Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna say like, well, Tyler has really won me over with his review, so my, I might go watch that Hulu one. And I think there's the benefit. Uh, Billy McFarlane is actually interviewed for the Hulu one, and it's just so fascinating to watch him. At times, be like you can understand how he won people over. He seems actually quite charming and fair and very contrite until the questions start turning away that he doesn't like. Um, and then he starts clamming up and hiding behind lawyers and that sort of thing. And it's, so it's just interesting to see, you know, they, they kind of treat his interview, they keep cutting back to it and they sort of let the, the arc of the film, um, dictate the nature of the interview. It could be that the questions were not asked in this order, but it looks like, Hey, look at this charming guy is able to talk anybody into anything. And he's really winning over the viewer, but then slowly, but surely you start to realize who he actually is and, so I think the access to him also makes makes a big difference. But I was gonna say that it's it's like the uh, it's like that Exorcist prequel with directed by Rennie Harlan or Paul Schrader. Paul like Schrader. you can watch them both and <laughs> and, and, and take a look uh, and compare the two. I was gonna say it's like OJ. Is it Made in America? The, yeah, uh, the sprawling yeah, the two documentary, the, the yeah. sprawling documentary, uh, mainly because I mean both of them are tackling the same subject, but I uh, you know they're doing it from different angles, different perspectives, having different people involved, and so. There's no gain for you beyond information as far as which one you choose. It's not like you do, you know, who's going to give you a bigger high five because you watched only theirs and not Netflix. Instead, you're just going to get like a lot of information about one thing that happened. And so, if I mean, if you're that interested in fire, that yeah, I mean, there's no reason not to watch both documentaries. You're going to get a lot of information about that very specific subject. Hmm. Okay. I'll just keep going with mine. Cause, yeah, know, hit I started it. with fire. Um, we've been off for a bit, so I'll just mention a few things that I, I've. I've watched in like the last uh, few weeks. Uh, there's been a series of animated Godzilla films on Netflix uh, that were, I believe it was like a Jap- Japanese like anime series and they turned it into like mini movies. It's not mini movies. They're all hour and a half, but the third one came out called Godzilla, the planet eater. Um, it's fun. <laughs> it's, it's a fun Godzilla. Okay. Anime. The, the, of the, this is like the final one of the three. It involves a version of King Ghidorah that uh I was impressed with. I was like, "Oh, this is a neat take on how they did that." So, if you're interested in Godzilla or anime, and or you know the combination of the two, you know there's there's a, there's a good finale in this Godzilla one. 
uh, and has some interesting views on religion, surprisingly, too, which is like, oh, we really went for it in this final chapter. Um, what else? I watched Bird Box. I don't want to go too far into Bird Box because it became too much of like a revolution, it seems. Uh, but Anna and I watched Bird Box, and I enjoyed it well enough. I'll just say that. Okay. Uh, Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror, Choose Your Own Adventure piece. Interesting. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's neat to be interactive with something like this, and I feel like there's a grander discussion to be had, maybe in a bonus episode at some point if Abe ever watches it, because it's. Did uh, you did you choose the the frosted flakes or the sugar puffs? I forget. I think I chose the frosted flakes. Actually, no. I Same here. The, I chose the oh! frosted flakes. Well, all 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 those uh, routes and more we'll go into at some other point, I imagine. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, and last, I'm just going to mention the movie Arctic. Uh, this stars Mads Mikkelsen uh, as a man who is stranded down in the Arctic. And he has to figure out how to survive, essentially, if he's going to stay where he is or venture uh, towards possible civilization to rescue himself. It's it looks intense. It is quite intense, and it's a great process movie. And you know I'm a big fan of process movies as far as like just seeing the various things someone needs to do to achieve an objective in film. I just like all those little kind of little details that they put in there, and that's that's what this movie is. It's a lot of it's a lot of one-man show acting and doing things, and the cinematography is pretty breathtaking. Uh, there's a lot to like here. I, I was a big fan of Arctic, which I think opens February 2nd, so like a few weeks from now. So yeah. Alex, what have you seen recently? Well, first I think I want to say I love Arctic. Oh, I yeah? saw it uh, in Cannes last year, and I really, yeah. really, really love it. Um, it's great. Uh, I saw The the Kid Who Would Be King, which you're probably going to talk about <laughs> on another episode, but uh, I really, really enjoyed it. It's very... Like, it touches upon things we've seen before and discusses messages and themes that we're all familiar with, but in a really fresh, fun way. The the VFX were considerably impressive for a January release. I, I very much enjoyed also how it was all put together and the way it flows. Even though it's like a two-hour, 12-minute kids movie, it's still very uh, engaging throughout. Um, and I also want to recommend, because it opened this past weekend with Glass, um, the standoff at Sparrow Creek, which I saw last year, which is this really awesome contained thriller. Um, it's a really sort of bold new vision, so to say. I mean, people make comparisons to Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, but it's not really uh, that. <laughs> it's something else, but it's really, really worth it. I had heard Buzz, and I was like, I don't know if it's going to live up to this. Uh, and it's great. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was on our quickies. Yep. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk where we talk about one of the new movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. And this week we're talking Spider-Man, colon, Far From Home, the upcoming Spider-Man film, which seems to present something of a quandary for many people involved uh, in either wanting to see Spider-Man or looking forward to in the follow-up to Infinity War, where we find out what happened with Spider-Man and others. But maybe this movie takes place some other time. I doubt it, but, you know, we'll see. Regardless, let's just get right into it. Uh... Let's go back to Alex. Alex, any any thoughts on the trailer for Spider-Man? Yeah, first there is no quandary. That's shenanigans. It's there. There's nothing. <laughs> Anyone who really truly was like, "Oh, Spider-Man is not going to come back," is is crazy. I'm sorry. I just need to say it. it's it's a nonsense. There is no discussion here about that. It's like if you really truly watched the end of Avengers and thought they were dusted, dead, gone forever, you're crazy. Like it's it's to to put it frankly and. Yes, I enjoy this this Spider-Man trailer a lot. It's it, it's I, I said on another podcast that it's very hard to watch any Spider-Man movie after Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because that's so good and such such a precedent for what the Spider-Man universe can and should be. Um, but this still looks fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. 
And of course, we knew since I think it was like October 2016, the sequel was announced. So before we even saw Avengers: Infinity War, we all knew Spider-Man would be back. It's not a, it's a not a discussion at all. It's not a quandary. It's nothing. It's really nothing. We need to move on from that. And anyone who even tries to bring it up, it's like no, just no. <laughs> There's nothing to it. There, uh, it because also none of thing in this trailer reveals anything, and it still makes me more excited to see uh, both Endgame and Far From Home. Far From Home is an individual experience, and I want to see, you know, the the rumor is why isn't Iron Man in the trailer, or you know, that's one thing I want to find out and see with this movie. And then also, it still makes me more excited to find out what happens in Endgame because there's still unanswered questions that we have to see that movie to find out. So there's a lot of excitement um, in general, and that this doesn't change a thing. That's my statement. End. Period. Next. And you're sticking <laughs> by it. Tyler, I cajoled you into watching this trailer for this podcast. Where, where are your thoughts here? <laughs> um. Okay. When I was nine, the incre- the Infinity gauntlet series was happening in marvel comics and i was genuinely traumatized as a nine-year-old by the deaths of some of my favorite heroes including at the time but legally can't happen here wolverine um (laughs) and i was just really devastated and i was just uh, astonished that 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 would happen um because i was nine as a cynical 36 year old i would look back at that if that event were to happen in comics, uh, I would say, well, they're not going to kill their, you know, look at all those cash cows that they're slaughtering. Come on, that's not going to happen. Um, but, and that's what, and that's what I say about uh, Infinity War. It's like, yes, of course we knew that all those people, that all those characters are coming back, even if we didn't know the the actual schedule. Uh, you just know because you're an adult and you know how Hollywood works and you know how franchises work. But nine year olds don't. And. I, I I don't buy this argument. How can you say that? Where is your proof of this? The crying girl in my theater when I saw Infinity War seemed like pretty good proof to me. There's proof one. of what? Proof of what? That they that they were truly affected by the ending? Of course. But does that does that really mean that they're 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 now gonna watch this trailer and be like, oh, everything is ruined? Find me one person who truly says this and is sane, and I'll the believe current, it. But I don't. In it's the it's world, a nonsense argument. It's in nonsense. the world in the world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, everything is terrible. Okay, let it be terrible. Let it be terrible until it's fine. This a marketing choice is now undercutting an artistic choice. No, I. That's where's the proof of this? Try, I, I don't. I, it's we not didn't even, see. Me, it's we not didn't see Spider-Man come back. There's no. There's no. So what? We know he's going to be back. Everyone in the world knows that. You say everyone, but I see so much discussion about. Well, no, it's because probably, it must be set before Endgame. Because that's, that's, it's it's a, it's a created discussion in your minds. It's not actual reality. And you're normalizing something that's completely false in and manufactured. But they're still going to they're solution. still going to hold on to that fact until they see Endgame. No, no, what everyone know? knows that they're going to come back in in uh, in Endgame. There's there is something we're going to see in Endgame. Well, we're everybody, going to well, see in Endgame. We're going to everyone's going to go. Nothing in this trailer reveals anything about Endgame. Well, why do, why are you interested in Far From Home at all? You know that Spider-Man's going to win. We all know everything. Exactly. So we know that, how any of this that, works. So why be upset sure. or why be up? You know, I'm I'm perfectly willing to go along with the tone of the universe. And that's the that is, you know, and this is a, a an argument that uh, that is specifically franchise based, like at the end of Empire Strikes Back. 
I'm sure many people assumed that, well, they're not going to just leave Han in carbonite. That seems, hey, guess what? He uh, was on the poster for Return of the Jedi. Oh, no, they undercut the tension. No, they did it. No, they did it. <laughs> it's nonsense. It's absolutely complete and total nonsense. And I actually used the climate change comparison, which someone else completely didn't buy. But it's like to create a, to create a manufactured narrative that supports this completely unrealistic and not true thing and normalize it and consider it as a discussion is dangerous. No one really believes this. No one. It's not a discussion to me. It's not. Mm. It's not an argument. It's not. It's like we shouldn't even consider this opinion. We but shouldn't. You certainly, you certainly have a strong opinion on the fact that this even exists. Yeah, because this is how like movies in the world works. It's fundamental. It's frustrating to me that people are normalizing. Why is this such a frustrating sticking of all the things to be upset about? Why is it so frustrating that some people that, that the the concept of some people feeling spoiled by something is why is that alarming? No, it sh it's not spoiled. Nothing's spoiled. It should have been one of those things where it's like, oh, ha ha ha, that's a funny thing. Okay, what's next? The fact that it's become something where people are like, we seriously need to consider this. I mean, first things first, you well, have that to I agree Sony. with. Yes, I do. I, I, and I, Sony I, considered it, of course, and that they know more than we do. Number one, and number two is this: like, it, it, it's it to it, we live in a world where there's a lot of complete and total nonsense out there that's become normalized, and I don't just mean fake news, but things like climate change, and yet we're we have to learn to squash that when it arises, and this is something that's worth squashing. I always love that line of thought because it ends with you you are the one that are that you decide one way or the other political or otherwise no i have decided that this is not worth discussing so it just climate doesn't. change deniers are not worth hearing their opinion anymore it is dangerous to the entire planet to hear their opinion that's not just me that's the world that is <clears throat> and, how it is and you are now comparing that with Spider-Man Far From Home and people being upset with a marketing decision to such an extent that you just said Sony knows more than we do. Sony, historically, as far as Spider-Man goes, has shown it doesn't know more than we do. <laughs> and that, honestly, Fair like... Fair enough, I agree. Sony's marketing sucks. You know, like, it's... <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but... We are going to get a Venom 2, though. <laughs> to be fair, Sony's had a pretty good run with Spider-Man movies lately. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Lately, admittedly, we got Three me Three in a row. Yeah, got lately is the, is the key this, term there. Spider-Verse. But pr presumably four. It's not like Far From Home is going to bomb. <laughs> I think it's just Im it's so impatient. I mean, people were going to see Spider-Man anyway. Uh, they were going to... like, And they're going to see Endgame anyway. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. I'm not suggesting that they won't. It's more just that... You know, when I saw the the trailer for Endgame, I was actually very excited with the tone of the trailer. You don't see any action in that trailer. You see just this mournful tone because clearly that is what they're trying to maintain uh, up until everything is resolved in some way, shape, or form. You got that time stone. You can fix a lot. And so um, – so clearly, like Marvel had an idea of what they wanted everything, how they wanted us to all feel for a while. And then somebody else comes along and says, uh, yeah, but I want people to see my movie. And it just felt like it just felt like an undercutting. And whether it's whether it actually does have a larger whether it does have larger you know, imp impact on a larger impact on like kids, maybe it won't. Uh, it's it's hard. It's really hard to know. I don't have I don't have any kids. I have a nephew who's. Older than I thought he was. Uh, actually, he grew up fast than uh, faster than I thought. <laughs> let me let me throw something into this, and then Abe, I'll let you go to talk about the trailer. Sure, sure. I, I'm just thinking to kind of resolve both sides of this argument. We're talking about two different studios that have two different methods of marketing things. We know that very much because Marvel has a way of 
editing trailers to make things not seem what they are, using special effects to put characters where they aren't and what have you in their Marvel movies. And then you have Sony that famously reveals a lot of things to the point where you can cut up like YouTube videos that splice together every trailer to basically form the entire narrative of plot and <laughs> you go from there. In a a more ideal world where both studios got along in terms of their tactics, wouldn't it be interesting to see a Spider-Man Far From Home trailer where Spider-Man's not actually in the trailer, where it merely goes after Jake Gyllenhaal's character or the other high school kids, and you don't actually focus on Peter Parker whatsoever, knowing that, yes, we can presume that Tom Holland is going to be back in this movie, Spider-Man's going to be around, but as far as the marketing goes, it's playing the game. As far as up until we get to April, what, 24th or whatever, we don't actually see Spider-Man, and then, like, a new trailer comes out, and suddenly, there he is! He's Spider-Man! Yeah, the idea of playing the game, I think, is is a neat idea and being very kind of cagey because one thing that is now part of the larger uh, discussion with Spider-Man is that anybody can be Spider-Man. And so what if, you know, again, yes, playing, I think that's a great way of phrasing it. It's playing the game. It's not just saying like, yeah, everybody can look look up on IMDb and see that Tom Holland is in it and that it's not somebody else with the name Spider-Man or anything like that. But I do feel like acknowledging, yes, acknowledging that there is, that things at at this exact moment in the the MCU and in the world as far as the release order of movies, things are not normal. They're not usual. And And everything about... The choice to release it and the trailer itself, which I think is fine. I think the movie looks looks fun. Um, everything about that trailer and the release of it is normal. And this and the events of Infinity War are not normal. Alex, does this make any sense to you as far as what we're saying? Yeah, no, I was actually going to ask. One well, of the questions I was asked is if you were a studio marketing exec, what, how would you have marketed Spider-Man I, Far From Home then? I'd, and, say, I'd, say you, what like, you... I'd say do it like The Dark Knight, where that movie had a teaser that's just Joker talking and no images from the film. And that was six months until I Am Legend came out and they had the big like extended IMAX preview. You could do the same yeah, exact yeah, thing yeah. for this, mm. where you have just like Gyllenhaal monologuing his Mysterio using presumably hilarious Mysterio voice. And then, <laughs> then you know, six... Hey, four, hey, let's not get into my thoughts here. And then five months later, you get a full trailer for Spider-Man, which is after Endgame, where presumably, you know, Spider-Man's back, and you're like, oh, hey, there he is, he's Spider-Man now. Like, it's, it seems like there's a, <laughs> there's, there's a way you could do this where, like you said, people are going to show up to a movie called Spider-Man no matter what, so why, why not try to yeah, this Give is all in. clever. This is good ideas, but it also confirms that the idea that you don't know Spider-Man is coming back is still complete nonsense. Because you're you're still saying, oh, we know he's going. The, the literally the name of the movie is still Spider-Man. It will be on the title card. You you can look it up. You can't deny that most people in the world have phones and can look up anything on the internet. It's out there. It's not. You're confirming this, and also I like it because you're proposing clever ideas that Sony's not going to do. I'm not. I'm not but, against so. the idea of people should be wisened up to the fact that Spider-Man will still exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like that's not. That's not something I've, I, but I, I can just. Well, it's I not feel, wisened I, up. It's just like no, it's but like I, I can, I can, knowledge. I can be, emp- I can be empathetic to those that do choose to have this like rolling idea that until we see Endgame, there's no reason to believe that Spider-Man is alive. Hmm. How? How? Please, please tell me how. Like, what's your justification? 
I said I could be empathetic to those. That's what my justification is. I could, I could. Oh, but I it's, go, but it's like, it's like you're like, oh well, we'll take anyone's most craziest opinion ever because we have to. But I it's like, take, I yeah, could take, yeah, I that's could take not that really opinion good. on a, I could take that opinion on a movie because it's a movie. I don't need to get that wrapped up in it. It's not the same as climate change. There's exactly. But, but then this is the funny thing: is everything you're saying then confirms that it doesn't undercut tension because it's just a movie. So if it is just a movie, then it doesn't matter. No one's affected. Hey, by hey it. I, I will say this though: I was really hung up for a summer when I didn't know who shot Mr. Burns. Even though <laughs> That's I know that wrong. Mr. Burns was going to come back because he's an integral part to The Simpsons. Yeah, but, but we all knew it was Maggie, obviously. <laughs> Trying to get all the clues or what W and S stand for. <laughs> hey, what'd you think of the trailer? I thought the trailer, just from the trailer alone, was it was fun. And the person that I didn't expect to see in the trailer was Nick Fury. <laughs> so I was uh, I was curious about what was going to happen. Sure, everyone's kind of back and having a good time. I'm glad that they're expanding on the MJ story there. But um, speaking of the the characters that, that uh, you know, we've kind of sidestepped and I'm sure people will talk about, Mysterio is a great villain to have. I love Mysterio from the cartoons back in the day of this, the Amazing Spider-Man cartoons. Is it the Amazing Spider-Man cartoon? Can't remember the, Are you thinking of the, the Fox, Fox one? That's yeah. just Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Okay, so the Spider-Man cartoon, and yeah, I agree with you that I was like, I wonder if they're going to give him a goofy voice when he puts his helmet on with fog in it. I hope uh, so. If they don't, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's it's fun. I it, sure the questions of is this before or after? Maybe they entered my mind, but I essentially just left it at it's a trailer. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Endgame, and then I will see what happens with this one because um, uh, you know things will be explained. I'm sure. Exactly. Enough any, said. <laughs> any other thoughts on Far From Home before we wrap up this wildly overlong conversation about the trailer? <laughs> hey, this is why I was worried you were going to bring it up, because I'm like, there's something to say about it, and then... It's only totally general, and again, it has been something that has caught fire uh, since the trailer was released, especially on, on Twitter and whatever else. Uh, well, let's let's put out that fire. Let's throw some water on that fire that should not be burning down the forest. Thank and you. Then let's have Chris Smith make a documentary about the fire that was thrown out on Spider-Man Far From Home. Now it's spelled F I. I would watch that. I would pay a Hulu subscription to watch that. Nine ninety nine a month. Yeah, but oh, this was a Christmas Netflix. Okay, I'm paying Netflix subscription, which just went up from what eleven to thirteen dollars a month. Thirteen, thirteen dollars a month. Yeah. Killer, killer. Uh, all right. Great discussion. <laughs> all that said, let's uh, let's get to let's get to our uh, Spider-Man Far From Home comes out uh, uh July fifth. By the way, uh, so here you go. Um, and yeah, with all that out of the way, let's get to our main review for an even most likely longer discussion over the <laughs> film Glass. We keep him heavily sedated. But there is a reason for that. He's too smart for them. You won't be lonely anymore. You have two new friends. The three of you think you have extraordinary gifts like something out of a comic book. I've developed an effective treatment for this disorder. The light will force a different identity to take over. Por favor, senora. I want my headphones back. Step away from the controls now, little doctor. Can't beat the beast! So you're not going to shake my hand and let me walk out of here? (laughs) Good for you. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Glass. I will preface this by saying Abe has not yet seen Glass, so he's going to be out for uh, the portion of this review. I'll also add, because of the nature of this film, 
and things that are revealed either early on or later, uh, we will be going into spoilers for uh, this discussion. I think we'll kind of give our general thoughts as we normally do, and then as we discuss the film further, we're not going to hold back as far as talking about things that happen during this movie throughout its runtime. Uh, so if you have not seen Glass or you care very much about this, uh, be sure to, uh, you know, take a pause or take a break, go see the movie if you want to or whatever, come back and then listen to the rest of this episode. Uh, so with all that said, Let's get into it. Back in 2000, M. Night Shyamalan followed up his massive hit The Sixth Sense with Unbreakable, a drama about comic books disguised as a thriller. In 2016, Shyamalan gave a split, an Unbreakable follow-up disguised as a genre thriller. Now we have Glass, a film that isn't hiding what it is. It's the third chapter in this unconventional superhero series, which brings Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson back to now contend with James McAvoy's character, The Horde. Uh, the trio all wind up in a mental institution where Sarah Paulson's character has them dealing with the idea that maybe they're all just delusional. Alex, let's start with you. Where are your thoughts on M. Night Shyamalan as a as a filmmaker, and uh, and how have you where, where'd you land on Glass? Oh, that's a well. That first question is a long journey because I think for many people we all might have enjoyed a lot of his earlier work. I love Signs. I love Unbreakable. Um, I enjoyed The Village, despite the huge discussion about it but then he dipped into his like really terrible territory between the happening and the last airbender and after earth and all that um and then he came back around and now i actually wasn't a big fan of split i'll I'll preface that which will come up later in the episode but um i don't know why it just kind of i thought it was okay uh and then uh now on glass before we get into the deep spoiler territory i really liked it I don't think it's the greatest thing ever. I don't think it's Shaman's greatest work ever. I don't think it's going to be something we're going to be talking about more than another month or two this year. And I don't think it breaks any ground or shatters any expectations or anything like that. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, shatters. <laughs> but but it, it didn't. So nonetheless, I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it and I know a lot of people didn't. I found myself frustrated and annoyed while watching, but then had to catch myself and say... Well, this is what I was, me sitting here saying this is what I want to see, not actually trying to appreciate what Shaman has made, and perhaps it's not perfect, there's some flaws with it, but uh, overall, when I got that out of my mind, was able to clear myself and set foot into the territory of what we are getting, I still was able to enjoy a lot of it and uh, recognize it for the non-action movie it is and the psychological thriller that it actually really truly is, and... Um, and, and appreciate least at least James McAvoy's performance more than everyone else. Tyler, uh, where were your expectations going into this uh, based off having seen Unbreakable and Split? And, um, uh, yeah. I wouldn't say they were necessarily high. Um, I Similar to Alex, I would say that, yeah, I really enjoyed his, his earlier stuff. Um, and, yeah, I do think that uh, The Village is kind of a mess from a narrative standpoint, but Shyamalan, even when he... Even with his bad movies, and he has made some definitely bad movies, he really had he he still had a command of tone, uh, and really could create a great atmosphere, and had often some really immersive camera work. And even with stuff like Lady in the Water, a movie that I mostly hate, um, his visuals are are still really fun, and he really seems able to kind of create the 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 magical atmosphere that can really pull somebody in and just intrigue somebody regardless of the story being told. Uh, it's why so many people in the 
you know, after the village, so many people said he needs to direct something he hasn't written. They're acknowledging that despite a, you know, his deeply flawed screenplays, um, that he is still a, an extremely talented director. And so, and I, I agree with that. And I do think that, uh, the visit was something of a return to form to him as far as just general tone, that it was scary and tense, but also a little bit funny. And at times the dialogue was a little bit clunky because you have characters often declaring theme, which you, which you have in split as well. But it really seemed that he was a little bit able to kind of rein himself in and direct his, his abilities one way or another. And with glass, it feels very much the opposite. It feels first off. I don't, aside from the, the opening sequence of, of Bruce Willis confronting uh, James McAvoy, which I think is a well put together sequence. And I think it's handled what the lead up to it is handled pretty well. Aside from that, I, I don't get much of a s- sense of atmosphere. Everything ve- feels very clinical, which makes sense given the environment. But, uh, but I feel like what I said earlier about you have characters that would occasionally declare theme. I feel like this film is all about its theme uh, to such an extent that um, that we wind up sort of undercutting character potential. Uh, the fact that for a good chunk, you've got a completely silent Samuel Jackson, a very tight-lipped Bruce Willis, and then everything else goes to uh, Sarah Paulson, who is mostly just a question and exposition machine, uh, and then – uh, James McAvoy, who's definitely given it 110%, but I feel like since he's now part of a larger ensemble as opposed to split, I feel like he has to sort of condense all the perfor- all, the, all the performances and personalities to the point where it's actually maybe a little bit overly comical. Um, I already thought it was a little bit exploitative in split, but here I feel like it's it it it's not his fault. He's doing he's working extremely hard, but uh, but I just feel like the 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 script feels very uh, first draft. It feels like Shyamalan just trying everything, and at no point did he cut anything or rein himself in. He just was so interested in what he had to say that he forgot uh, how he was saying it. So I, uh, as far as our my thoughts on Shyamalan, I think they're pretty much similar to everyone. It's weird how we all have a consensus opinion about Emma Shyamalan. Uh, like, that's like an accepted thing among, like, just people that are a fan of his as far as, or at least acknowledge him as a filmmaker and what they think of it. Where it's like, yeah, he, he did some great stuff early on. He had a breakout hit. He had a couple films after that. And then, like, it just seems like it went downward. And then it came back, kind of. Because uh, I, I was a fan of The Visit. I, like Alex, I didn't like Split um, overall. I, I think mm. McAvoy is very good in it. I think there's good elements in it. But overall, I just think it kind of doesn't know what it wants to do at the end and then just kind of mm. stops. It's like, oh, by the way, Unbreakable. Like, that's kind yeah, of like, yeah. that's that's what's yeah, yeah. Um, So now we get to Glass. And here's a film where I wanted, I I looked forward to seeing what this would be. Uh, because I, 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 I re- I'm a big fan of Unbreakable, and I've talked plenty about that in our commentary track, so you can go all over that if you want to hear more about Unbreakable. Um, and then I have Split, where I'm like, well, I'm not a big fan of Split, but I do like where his head's at, Shyamalan's head's at, as far as a director, because it seems like, okay, he's been taken down to a much more modest budget that he's putting up his basically his own money for, um, and, create, and just doing genre stuff. What happens now when he takes a movie like Unbreakable, which seemed like a, a pretty good, like, hey, I've made this giant hit for you, so I'm going to do whatever I want. My choice was to make a comic book movie in disguise, and I'm going to tie that together with this other movie and make this kind of weird trilogy. 
and knowing all of that and just being a fan of you know filmmakers in general it's like okay i'm not i know what i'm not going to expect this kind of epic brawl action movie because that's not the kind of movie Shyamalan makes nor one that he set up with this movie so i'm looking despite the marketing I mean, yeah, but that's marketing, and I'm smarter than that. Like, I know, I know <laughs> true, what movie true. I'm walking into, so it's like, I walked in here thinking, okay, let's see what this is going to be, and yeah, I I was looking forward to what this could have been, and it just seems like the pieces are there, and he doesn't know how to assemble them properly. The I think there are ideas that pre- are presented that seem like something revelatory, or at least more interesting were the movie to come out in 2004, after a presumable unbreakable sequel, and then this third chapter... But in 2019, it's like none of the ideas presented just feel new to me or anything that's like suggesting something I can't believe I've seen. I haven't thought of before or a new perspective on things when it comes to grounded superhero movies or the idea of taking comic books in a literal fashion or a serious fashion or what have you. Anything involving that kind of stuff, which the characters really want to focus on since that's all that's all Mr. Glass is talking about for sure. But all the movie seems to care about as far as the uh, the outsider characters that are you know, on the outside of this looking in, none of it seems to kind of register in a way that feels all that interesting to me. And so if I'm not getting anything there on the thematic sense, I have to rely on what these actors are doing or what the story's trying to tell me. And it's a it's a mixed bag. I think McAvoy, yeah, he's, he's certainly putting in the effort to portray a number of different kinds of people. And that's, that's neat. Jackson eventually gets to have a lot of, I think he's even having fun in his comatose mode, but I still think he's having plenty of fun when he actually gets to talk and be his nefarious self. Then you have Willis, who's just around. Um, <laughs> which is a shame, but at the same time... Better than he's been in other recent movies. Sure, but, and, but I think the, I mean, the problem with Willis is that the dramatic urgency of his character makes sense in Unbreakable because it's, it's, a two, it's, it's both he's realizing his abilities and he has a family to deal with. This, he has nothing. He's just in a steel cage for most of the movies. So it's like, yeah, he's not going to be very... He's, he's inherently uninteresting if you take everything away from him and box him up. So it's like, yeah, you're not going to give the guy that's already lazy in movies anything to do. He's not really going to leave much of a presence. So then I have to go on, okay, well, what else is this movie doing? And the thing with Shyamalan movies, not most of them, I would contend there's very few twists in his actual movies. People like to play up this thing. I don't think he does it all that often. But this movie really wants to rely on twists. And compared to other movies he's done where he's tried to surprise the audience nothing was surprising to me here like there's reveals that happen and one that's like oh that's a thing that we'll get into later but there's a couple where it's just literally characters looking at a thing away from the audience and making a face and then we eventually learn what that thing was and it's like okay that's I, I'm used to a filmmaker that knew how to hide things in plain sights and leave leave clues and do some things that were interesting to me visually that would be like, oh, that's such a great aha moment. And none of that's here in Glass. Which So coming up on this, I'm just thinking, okay, we have okay performances, a story that's reaching for grand ideas that I don't think are very grand at all, and a surprise element that's not that surprising. So I just it doesn't work for me. None, none, none of it connects overall. You know, the funny thing, Aaron, is I actually agree with everything you say, but I still enjoyed it. Because <laughs> no, actually, uh, on my last podcast, the other guest we had also said what you said, which is that this should have, or this felt like more of a sequel to uh, something that would have come out in 2004, something that would have come out properly 10, 15 years ago. And my first response when he said that was, yeah, isn't that the point, per se? I mean, you know, of course it takes place 19 years later, and of course it's literally made 19 years later. But... um if you were to truly ask Shaman, like if he had the money and ability and whatever, you know, else he needed to do it, and made this, then 
would you know could you have been more satisfied if you had watched this in 2004 and thus one of the things i bring up with expectations then is that we if not then you have to consider the fact that since 2000 when unbreakable came out and 2004 in which you're referring to we now live in the marvel mcu and plus dc's movies universe and we can't we can't forget that and we can't get rid of that even subconsciously the fact that Spider-Man and all these movies exist since then has changed our expectations for what we want and need in superhero movies or comic book movies. Well, it's not speaking to what I want though, it's speaking to what I would expect from Shyamalan as a filmmaker and a, you know, a person that just realizes the time that he's in. Like where... you're saying there shouldn't there shouldn't have been there should be more of a modern movie and he should have delivered more of something that would have had a relevance today. <laughs> Not necessarily, um, uh, but I'm saying it speaks to what Tyler said as far as the movie feels like a first draft, uh, and regardless of what direction he would choose to go based off whether it's acknowledging the fact that we're in a modern society or not, it just feels like these ideas are dated and he's not acknowledging that like it's i don't need a movie to reflect exactly what's going on today with superhero movies but at the same time he's banking heavily off the idea that we're not he's i mean he's comic explaining to me like a lot of the time and it's like <laughs> that's that's not a that's not an approach to take in a world where yeah this thing has become a lot more mainstream i mean there it, it doesn't it doesn't rely on whether or not i've seen all the dc and marvel movies it just relies on my own general perception of how the world works today versus how it worked back then it's almost like i would wish we could ask it's almost like Shyamalan hasn't seen any of these comic book movies and was making something completely disconnected from anything in between these 19 years and of course i could say that's his point and he's making something subversive with with glass that tries to reject everything that we expect of course I, can we get into spoilers because i want to say yeah, something want, yeah, yes please yeah, please yeah. Because I want to say that the whole tower, the Osaka Tower, and the continual like uh, mentions throughout of oh the showdown's going to take place there, and then it doesn't, is like the first time I was watching, I was like this is pissing me off. Like either do it or don't, and don't toy with us in See, that way. Well, this is so this is my thought on that. The whole time I was watching this movie, I'm thinking this is a twenty million dollar movie, probably ten because Willis and Jackson and whatever cost like a <laughs> yeah. bunch of money. They're never going to get to this fictional building in a city. Like, that's never going to happen. I, I know this. Just I, without watching a movie to understand that, just the, the nature of how filmmaking works, I know that these characters are never going to go from this point that's taking place entirely in one setting to this giant skyscraper to have some battle action spectacular finale. Like, I know that's not going to happen. So I was like, that's never surprising to me that they didn't actually get to the fireworks factory. Like that's that's where I'm at with that. But every but every other like comic book movie since then does. Yeah, but those are hundred million dollar movies that are based on comic characters we know. Or this is like yeah, this is this grounded thing that's taking place in a mental institution with a bunch of like three people that have like weird powers and aren't based sure, on anybody. Sure. Yeah. But in the end, to me, that doesn't make me fault the film because he's almost trying to make us think about that and have that discussion and be like, oh well. Of course, for budgetary limitations, but also for like, oh, well, we didn't need a showdown in there. And and look, we can get into whether or not anyone actually enjoyed the parking lot showdown. But like right. that that whole – by the end, I actually didn't mind that we didn't have a showdown there because I actually think that the building is used as a different foil for um, – uh, what, you know, what you get to at the very end, which is that uh, as as people were, were all as a mass – you know, ob uh, obsessed with and interested in a shiny new object more than actual incredible people. Um, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but I, mean, it, I, I would just, I'm not, I would say I'm not faulting the film for not going places. That's, that's right. not where my issues lie, that they didn't like deliver upon 
things they teach. That's I mean, that's red herring 101 right there. Like it's like that's fine. That's not that's not an issue for me. Well, and part of my excitement about Glass, and I will say genuine excitement, um, when I saw Split, it was a critic screening, and uh, that can be a fairly jaded bunch at times. Um, but the reveal at the end of Split. Uh, caused the audience to make an audible noise, uh, including me, probably like, oh, like that kind of thing. I, um, um, I, I just to add, I wasn't at that. I was, I saw it at AFI Fest like the few months prior. But I am aware that friend of the show, Jeff Kanata, Alex, I think you know Jeff. He, yeah. um, he like audibly went, oh my god. I, I'm aware <laughs> I, that's I, a thing I think I might have heard him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Uh, and I think what excited me okay let's let's go back not sure. to rehash it but let's go back to the Spider-Man Far From Home discussion we just had it's that's a discussion based on what we just rather cynically and I don't even say that in a negative way you could say realistically what we realistically know about film franchises mm-hmm. to me the idea of you know a, a cinematic universe within the unbreakable worlds like every character is going to be original we which means we don't know what to expect we don't know how many films there's going to be we don't know what somebody's ultimate fate will be it w- it was taking something that we become very familiar with for the last 10 years and actually putting a new spin on it based on something that we've been familiar with for longer which is uh, unbreakable and the the subversion or the exploration of superhero themes so the idea of that was really exciting and so the film does does pay that off in one way which is it gives us stuff that we were not expecting and something that it gives us stuff that if it were a uh, a franchise superhero film with uh pre-existing characters we would know that well this character's not going to die you know they're not going to let that happen but he he subverts that and subversion isn't necess- isn't automatically a good thing but it can be a refreshing thing but i think it's the way in which he does it uh he he set it up for so much potential and he set it up to be so refreshing that what we eventually get you know from a screenwriting standpoint from a storytelling standpoint where he introduces uh without I don't want to go into too much detail yet, uh, or or maybe we can. I don't know. But he introduces a shadowy organization in the last 10 to 15 minutes of the film mm-hmm. and says, oh, they've been behind everything. And we're meant to be like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Oh, OK, they've just been foiled. Problem solved. I guess that's I guess that's no problem. You know, it, it almost feels like the it feels like when uh, Scott Pilgrim has to fight Nega Scott at the end. And it's set up as in that moment. It's set up as a big deal. And I remember at the time being like, oh, another fight. Really? Like it's it's setting something up at the last minute. But then that one for humor purposes undercuts that. And this felt like he just didn't know what to do. The idea of a shadowy organization trying to hide the supernatural or the extraordinary from uh, society, that's a great idea. I love it. It's probably uh, in the trailer for Men in Black, which preceded people seeing Glass. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I like the idea of that in a superhero world. Um, I just feel like he needed to – if that was the payoff he was going to have, he needed to set it up a lot earlier than that. Yeah, it, um, it's, because... a weird, like, it's a weird condensed Curse of Michael Myers concept, which is like, well, that's, that's, such, a, that's such an outlandish thing to do right now. We're like, oh, everyone has tattoos now. And um, then they're yeah. and they're all part of a they're all part of this Illuminati sort of society that's uh, secretly rounding up superheroes. Yeah, and what's to end? That's the thing is in his desire to and 
sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. In <laughs> go the, for the, it. I'm the, sha- the shadowy uh, organization. Um, there are some neat concepts there. The idea that everything can just fall silent when they want it to, uh, and that at any given moment they're about they're they're about to have a board meeting. I actually like the idea of that. Mm-hmm. But um, but this idea that their goals are almost purely thematic. They can work in the world, but the way he expresses their goals, it is almost as if at, at any moment he is going to have the characters look at the camera and say, all right, do we see where we're headed here? Huh? Pretty neat, huh? As far as the idea of exploring the ordinary and uh, the extraordinary in every, in every person. Um, and the the reveal that we live in a in a more magical world than we are led to believe and that's all well and good except when you have theme overwhelm just the the most basic story and character tenets then you get this fact that we are meant to we are meant to cheer at the defeat of uh the this shadowy organization and who defeated them oh a mass murderer wait what like uh, we're supposed to be excited about that I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not in favor of a shadowy organization. But he's so focused on defeating them and defeating what they stand for because it runs thematically counter to what he wants the audience to think. That we're now cheering for a guy who is a full-on villain, and we're meant to see it as somehow redemptive. Uh, and it just feels, again, like it's so. A slight background, uh, and Aaron, you know this. Like I've. I've reviewed I've seen and reviewed a lot of Christian films in my life. And one of the reasons that they're so bad is because they lead with their intention and everything else falls by the wayside. And I feel like that's what this film is doing, is that he has very specific thematic intentions, which is no crime. But he got so focused on those that he forgot to do justice to the characters, to the world he's creating and to the the storytelling possibilities. Um, And it winds up just being an extremely disappointing movie that just goes in all different directions okay i'm done sorry okay (laughs) i don't know how to i mean i don't know what to jump in on because i said a lot i'm sorry no 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 but actually uh, the the good thing i actually like discussing this movie is that everyone has a lot of good points to it but the Um, thing is with with just to pause for a second i don't think all of we're not far off from where we are with this movie i think like just a couple degrees above it and i think we're just a few degrees behind it as far as like i don't think Tyler, just to, just to speak to, for you for a second, Tyler, I don't think either of us, you know, fault the film as for a number of things that Shyamalan does well. I do. Th- I mean, would, Tyler, would you agree that there's some interesting visual touches and some neat things going on performance-wise that make the film or even just worthwhile to some degree? There are a couple of interesting visual touches, but there's not the full tapestry that I'm used to from him. I know, uh, but he, okay, so even then, okay, so t- maybe Tyler's might be like the most removed from pro- providing praise in this movie. I'm a little, I still think it's a bad movie overall, but I still it can acknowledge things that I found to be interesting to me, even if I didn't overall like the movie. And then Alex, I think you're just a, a few shades above that. Is that, is oh, that yeah. fair? does that sound fair? That is, and that's good to me because I was very worried, Aaron, that you were going to hate it with like m- like a lot of hate, which is what I I've encountered with a couple of people, though. I mean, I think this, this I, can, I can understand that. I would say even if the... Even going by just the things that frustrate me, or uh, there's there's way more interesting in this movie, even if it's a bad movie, than there are with movies that are just you know bland and you know forgettable. Like there, there's so much going on here yeah. that I want to dissect, even if it's a, to a negative degree. That I'm I'm happier to discuss something like Glass than I am like the recent whatever recent I don't know 
Happy Madison comedy that came out or something that just has nothing to offer you. Of course. Well, and, and that oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say one thing that that this kind of touches on that has bothers me is that uh, the people say that this is Shyamalan's most dis- disappointing film he's made. His biggest disappointment was career. And I'm like, have you seen Last Airbender? Have you seen The Happening? No, but I, like... mean, I, can, I can understand that though, because there's so much to work off of here. Where you, you're taking, you're making a sequel to both one of his most well-respected films, as well as one that many people do like, even though I didn't like it. It certainly was But it's, well but it's not his hit. worst. That's no, his, but people that's aren't saying thing. worse, though. There's a difference between worse and disappointed. I think there's a lot I know, to look forward to. Just, I think, just but because you had look... a super high expectations, but or that, I mean... even middled expectations, doesn't mean that it should be considered something that's like his... Because his... you can, if you're you can conflate disappointment with worst very easily and i think that's what happens is my point i think i think some i'm not denying that some people do conflate the two together but i do think it's a plausible thing to say from a subjective standpoint that yes a, a follow-up to a movie i really liked and one that had a connection i did not see coming failed to complete that trifecta yeah i can see that as a massive disappointment compared to something like last airbender where it's like oh this director coming off of two films i really hated is making another film that also sucked yeah that's not really disappointing like that's not, that's just no but, I, course, but i'm a huge last airbender fan and the fact that it's such <laughs> a <up>. disaster <laughs> no but it's such a disaster no i mean of the of the cartoon so what i'm saying is oh, such okay. a <laughs> such a horrible horrible film that there's no way that I can even compare Glass with this because there's, as you have just said, this is my point, as you have just said, there's a lot to appreciate about Glass, even if you don't like the movie overall. And there's nothing to appreciate about Last Airbender except for maybe the score. I think there's, it's interesting the conversation that we're having here because the words that we've been using are expectation, disappointment, potential, possibility. It's all about the stuff that we're bringing into it. uh, And if, if this is the movie he had made, now admittedly because of Split, he couldn't have made it before that. But um, I think people are having such an extreme negative reaction to it. If I had to guess, and this is all speculation on my part, uh, probably because of their age. We all watched his earlier, much better films at a very specific time in our film-going lives, and we really – Loved them, and and in some cases, they might have even shaped some of the ways that we see movies of certain genres. And so, uh, so then he fell off rather dramatically, and we all kind of not wrote him off. We were all rooting for him to come back, and then he started to, and we were really excited. And so we come into this movie with expectation, with excitement, understanding. I know for myself, maybe not understanding, maybe that's the wrong word, but like hoping for very to pay off on some really strong uh potential uh set up with the concept of split being part of this unbreakable universe um and so there's so much in a way i feel almost bad for him but at the same time this is based on some of the choices he's made in a way it makes me wonder if the film could have could have met those expectations not that people necessarily had super high expectations it's just that it's just that we were also invested in in Shyamalan being officially back. He started coming back with the visit. Split, not a perfect film by any stretch, but I definitely think it has a lot of that atmosphere that I was talking about and more than a little Hitchcockian influence that I think uh, works pretty well. And so with Glass, with him actually returning to something that he set up, uh, we I think we were all so hoping – that he would emerge and like, all right, this guy that was such a big part of our film going experience is officially back and he's doing amazing work. And in fact, he just showed that, no, 
he's still he still all has all of the flaws and so in the midst of the of the disappointment i genuinely think that there's a little bit of heartbreak it's it's you you thought it we you thought that this was going to be like a big redemption that that the the story of Shyamalan was going to be like this redemption story and it's not completely and even if the movie isn't terrible when we were so bound up in it uh with our expectations and our hopes that i think some people probably hate it and they probably have completely legit reasons but i think they use words like hate because maybe they felt burned they put they put their hope and their excitement into into something that they so badly wanted and it was snatched away because i think the film because of the filmmaker's own foibles that he's always had i'll just throw out there that in the Unbreakable. Apparently, this is just a big commercial for the Unbreakable commentary, so it's not not like split. Um, but but I I have audio recording of me saying I really hope that glass is good, but I won't be surprised if it's a giant clusterfuck either. Like it's just, sure. But um, we should talk more about like the movie. It's I I, I enjoyed this discussion about as far as where we are with Shyamalan and what you know could have transpired, where we thought, what the expectations are. I, I want to talk more about the, focus a little bit on the film as well and and speak more to some of what Tyler you were saying in the form of Alex. Um, because I think it also comes down to uh, character and how characters are written. Yeah. And I, that's another element where I feel like there's a lot that could work and it just doesn't based off how we're staging these people. One of them is Sarah Paulson, who I think she does what she can with this, but I don't like the, I don't think the character works where much of the movie focus. There's two problems. What much of the movie is all about her telling you things where you know that they're not true. Like, she's basically trying to gaslight the superhero characters for a majority of the movie, but we have two prior movies that very much prove otherwise, so it's not exciting for me to watch this thing happen where I I know that this can't possibly be true. I know there's no there's no area of doubt for me, and even if even putting myself in the place of the characters, I I'm not I'm not convincing myself to be riveted by this conversation because it's so repetitive. Like if you initially start with her saying you guys are just delusional, and that plot arc wraps itself up in a span of twenty minutes or something, that's one thing. But the movie spends this movie's two hours and change, and it spends an entire hour focused on these guys in a mental institution worrying over this thing that i already know can't is not going to resolve in any way that defies what i what i've previously been aware of do you think that the film was trying to convince you the viewer as well a little bit i I did i felt that way but i i didn't feel that way i mean again (laughs) i know i know i I have not that that you were convinced but do you think it was trying i I don't think it was necessarily trying, but I think Shyamalan made a miscalculation of how much he needed to rely on that mm. aspect to make me appreciate this, what what her character's trying to accomplish based off where the twist goes in the end, as, as well as what the other what I'm seeing from mainly McAvoy and Willis as far as how they're percepting this information, because again, Willis has next to nothing to do here, so it's and he's you know being typical Willis, so it's like. I'm not getting much from this. And with McAvoy, it's like he's still going through all these characters. So it's like it's not like I'm defying. He's not like he's defying anything by suddenly being told maybe he's delusional. Like it, So it just doesn't accomplish anything for me. So it just feels like the film's spinning its wheels for a good long time before we get to some inevitable part where they finally all interact with each other. And Jackson comes back alive as Mr. Mr. Glass and, you know, starts doing his thing. So it's a big waiting game. And that's not very satisfying to me, as, even if I'm seeing, like, Luke Kirby and other characters, like, doing funny things or whatever. It's just it's not provided me with much film to go on. There's not much plot here because it's just focused on this one aspect for a good long time that's just not that engaging to me. 
that that I think is the issue to go back to what I was talking about. Like he seems to think that the questions he's asking are they are interesting, but I don't know if they're interesting enough to hang an entire film on. And that seems to be what he is banking on, that everybody will be so invested in what he's trying to explore that they that the way in which he explores it, which is fairly lackluster, uh, will be sort of ignored. Not that I, I, not that I think he thinks he goes, well, I'm making kind of a bad film, but that's all right. I'm asking a good question. I'm sure he thinks he's making a great film and that's fine. But, um, but yeah, I do think that, uh, to go back to that idea of, of leading with intention, like he got so focused on what he was trying to do, uh, that, and I think he just thought everybody else would be as invested or as interested as he was. Well, I, and I think there's a, a, another angle to what's trying to be accomplished. Basically, Doctor uh, Staple, the character, is trying to say you guys aren't special because you're just using things that maybe you've seen in your real life or you have intuition or whatnot. But at the same time, even I mean, the movie's trying to present you in a, with a world where superheroes exist, but it is a grounded world, so it's not completely supernatural or something that's to the extremes of of Marvel or DC films. It's like, yeah, okay, you can climb on things in a gifted way or you're very hard to stop. I, I don't know how to how she's explaining Bruce Willis not being invincible. But regardless, based off the based off what I've seen these characters do, even if they're not super powered in a way that's, you know, straight out of a comic book, I'm still seeing a person with dissociative personality disorder scale a wall using just the fingertips. That makes you a superhero. I don't like. I don't know what you can. I can without without any practice, no less. Like, but I, she I, explains that. Though. She says it's, she explains it's a like rock you might have watched. Thing. She explains that you might have watched some video and you have some kind of like. But no, she still, she explains it saying other people have actually done that with their own skills. Based off, yeah, years of if training you, and whatnot. Like, it's yeah, like, Aaron, if you went out and watched some guy do this, would you be like, this is a superhero? The world stops. No, you'd be like, oh, he's a regular guy who can do climbing very well. No. But, but probably somewhere in the middle for me. Uh, <laughs> I would not, not say he's a superhero, though. but I would. I probably wouldn't say he was a regular guy either. I'd say he's <laughs> solo. <laughs> yeah, which comes with years of practice and training and doing stuff, which she knows is not true. She, I mean, again, she's suppressing the fact that she knows he's a superhero anyway because she's part of a shadowy organization. But it's just, so that leads me to the other thing. I don't think Sarah Paulson's character is such a nothing because she has to purposely hold back the fact that she's a part of this thing for the whole time. So there's. No character there. Like it's With, just a, there's no person to watch. There's no. What are you gonna say, Tyler? There, she starts to get a pulse in a way that got laughs in the theater in a good way, and it actually started to get my interest. You see when she starts talking about comic conventions, uh, and you see like real scorn uh-huh. for a certain mindset a certain passion and that's, and I feel like that's where I think she as an actress found something to latch onto there. And it's so specific that you start to, in that moment, cause we don't know about the shadowy organization yet, but in that moment you start to, uh, think that she has an agenda, but the agenda is purely personal. Um, yeah. and it was actually kind of exciting in that moment. Um, but yeah, it's and then it, and then it quickly went away. But for a brief moment, I kind of started to see again what the what the possibilities were that these guys are being counseled by somebody who just abhors the idea of the supernatural or the extraordinary. You know, it could be somebody who just feels perpetually disappointed by the mediocrity of life. Uh, and then when she sees people that think that they are better, she says, "No, I'm not going to let them think that." Um, and just the the 
bitterness uh, with which she talks about Comic-Con. Like, have you ever been to one of those? And of course, <laughs> if you have been, it's really fun to hear her say that. But it really that's when her her character really started to come alive, if only for a moment, because which, it which, seemed like there was something to her finally. Which speaks to uh, and I'm not about saying this is what the movie should have done, because that's nonsense. But that does speak to an idea of like, well, if it was just a character that's like this, and then she becomes her own supervillain based off her hatred of super, like that's that's yeah. that's interesting. That's something she could be called the stapler. It's yeah. right there. <laughs> but Alex, what do you think of what we're saying as far as the film's focus on this aspect of the plot for such a long time? No, I, I, I actually, again, I agree. It's like hard to disagree with what a lot of you're saying. Like I'm like, okay, these are fairly good points. I actually, the only other point I was thinking of when you guys were mentioning this was the. Was the line that Glass says, and I know this doesn't make it a good film, but the line that Glass says at some point where he says this is uh, his or uh, an origin story, another origin story. And I know Shyamalan has actually mentioned this, I think, on tweets at some point or another, that that um, in the grand scheme of the trilogy, that this isn't meant to be a culmination, so to say. It's actually uh, Glass's origin story, and that we, uh, the final reveal of where it is and his whole grand scheme of revealing superheroes and all that is essentially the ultimate theme of what we get to. And you've, you've already mentioned this in, in what you've been saying recently is that um, I actually like that that's the, the ultimate message of this is that even if you aren't convinced that these guys might not really be superheroes during that current moment she, she's going through this with her character, you still get to the point where you see the, the the bigger the only worthwhile theme coming out of this to me is the idea that yes we're, there are these um, really great people out there and that there may or may not be an organization that wants to stop us from seeing this and of course the very surface level theme of we need to believe in ourselves more to to truly accomplish things mm-hmm. um, and again recognizing this doesn't necessarily make it a good film but recognizing that when I watched it actually made me look at it in a completely different perspective and instead of trying to criticize all these ideas that Shyamalan's throwing into it, which are clearly there, which is a lot of what you said. Like, yes, everything is there. He, he is trying too much in this, but he's trying too much in this in a $20 million movie, which then, if you focus on what it ultimately is trying to get to, despite this messiness through a lot of it, and despite not being convinced through most of it, you might still appreciate what it eventually gets to. And that's what I came to by the end. is like, yeah, okay, I, there's some big issues here. There's a lot of scenes I don't like. But overall, I appreciate despite not having anything go the way I wanted it to go, getting to that point and making that realization. And I can, I can appreciate what I can appreciate about that. And something I like about you, Alex, specifically, you, <laughs> you no, you, you, you like to wear your heart and your sleeve for movies that you enjoy, regardless of their flaws. And I very much appreciate that yeah. about you. I think Abe and I are very much the same when we kind of see flaws, but we can look past them. And I wish I could do that with this. I mean, again, and you're talking about already <laughs> how the movie is like, we're not going to talk about it a month later and probably not. But for the time being, yeah. I do like exploring what this film is, regardless if I liked it or not, because there's something there. And it's that because of that, there's something there. I wish it handled better. You're talking about uh, ideas that themes that 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 won you over. Ultimately, that's great. And I wish that I had that reaction too, regardless of the things that I'm picking a part of it. But it's because of, there's so much of the stuff that I, that's flawed to me or that isn't working or that's distracting me from the main point or whatever whatever point I could grapple onto and make myself feel better about it. That's what's stopping me from appreciating that. I've seen a lot of writing this week the, on the positive and negative side of this. Yeah. And I especially with the positive, I keep thinking, I am so glad that someone else found this out and I'm happy to read about it. I wish that I saw a movie that represented that thought for me as well, but I didn't mm-hmm. see that movie. You talk about course, a movie that's you know twenty million dollars is trying a whole bunch of stuff and only some of it sticks. 
that's like sorry to bother you for me, which I like a lot more. Uh, but that's a movie where it has a ton of things it's throwing at the screen. And not all of it works, but it's handled so deftly and with so much ambition and so much energy and spirit where, yeah, I can look past some of the issues with it because I'm seeing a bunch of stuff here that I really appreciate. And I'm watching Glass and I'm seeing a bunch of stuff here that I don't really appreciate. And I would have I would have liked to look onto the things that I like more about it and just focus on that. But ultimately, I just don't. I see so many issues here that come from both expectation to a degree, but just as a basic filmmaker that Shyamalan is versus what he used to be. And that never became more glaring than when I saw flashbacks to deleted scenes from Unbreakable, where I'm seeing that director (laughs) doing so much good with those little scenes, like Willis stepping into a room and just the way the cinematography looks, the way Willis seems engaged, like all of that stuff just speaks to how much of a, a great filmmaker I once thought Shyamalan to be at that point in his career versus where I see him now where... Yeah, there is only so much stuff I can praise visually or whatnot. It's, it's dis- it is disheartening. Like, so yeah. it's like yeah. I and I think I think it was Tyler who said this that we bring so much like M Night baggage with us over the course of what you started the whole discussion with, which is our opinion on M Night and the the ups and downs his career has led, and the desire to see him get back to that excellence and. I think that's the thing is that I don't know anyone out there who's really going to be sitting here saying, oh, this is his true comeback. This is his excellence. But I also don't see it as being his complete disaster. I think it's somewhere down the middle. And that, to me, doesn't bother me as much as it clearly bothers you, Aaron. And that's the difference, I think, is that maybe I didn't need it to be this spectacular, mind-blowing, ultimate culmination of what Unbreakable could have and should have led to, and even Split could have and should have led to, and that... Glass's character, despite his flaws and the fact that his superpower is simply his mind, which is not something new or interesting, still gives us something to think about by the end. And I don't know. I'm not going to convince you of anything because no, you're not, but, but you've made also, a good but... point with your 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 reasons why you don't like it, which is actually uh, I, I appreciate your opinion more now having heard you explain this and and provide your thoughts in a way that actually makes sense to me rather than just like reading tweets and reading some reviews where I'm like, come on, you're being, you know, as I said before, too brutal, too vicious on it for the sake of attempting to hate on it. <laughs> and I think, I mean, to be fair, I think you read my tweets and know I'm never that brutal on things. You are, <laughs> like, you I, are I, but other people have read. I know. And I know, yeah, we're speaking broadly about like random film <laughs> Twitter things, but I, tweeting on I, I'll just say, it's not that as if I walked into this thinking this is going to be the cult. This is going to be the best. Like Shyamalan's here. I mean, we all of us are mixed on split. Like we don't even like it, the previous film that led up to this. So it's not. It's not like I was thinking that can't miss. Like you know, this is this is it right here. He's finally got his groove back. Nothing can go wrong. Oh, he did go wrong, and now I, I hate him forever. Like that's not. A, that's not a part of this. It's more of. I know we both have differing, differing opinions, and this is probably the last time I'm going to talk about Glass to such an extent. So I'm thinking, I have to get all my opinions out about Glass right now. And, what, do, and I, what do you appreciate it? What, what are your most positive aspects of it? Like, what scenes did you I, enjoy the most? I'll, I'll say this. I love the color in this movie. I, I really w- and I, I wish have... that there was more of either the identity of Unbreakable or the identity of Split in this movie. Even though it has the same cinematographer, uh, West Island Thornton who did Split, and he did, he did It Follows as well. And I like the look. I watched Split. I watched Unbreakable and Split pretty close, like, the, the day before I saw Glass. I was right fresh in my mind on, like, how these movies worked and everything. And I didn't get enough of that in Glass, honestly. But I really like the color. I like some things he was doing there as far as trying to design comic book-type stuff in this movie. It's not as pronounced as it was in Unbreakable, which every scene, Shyamalan makes a meal out of the camera. Every scene, the camera's moving, and there's long takes, and it's beautiful. 
this movie, it feels like it's short-sighted, but there are some touches that I really liked. I think Jackson is a great presence here. I think he, I think Mr. Glass is in Unbreakable is one of his best like roles in general. So yeah, seeing him, seeing him come back to that role, I think he was having a lot of fun, even if the movie's tone is decidedly different from that. And I mean, I, I do like Tyler. You mentioned the opening kind of bit, the that leads up to that action sequence. I like the first twenty minutes of this movie a lot. I think it's it does a great job of setting up Willis's character again, as well as McAvoy and his multiple characters the stakes of that scenario and just the the filming of that action uh we should talk about the ending action sequence by the way as far yeah, as yeah i want to ask about that, that goes showdown but, but no yeah I, I mean, there's, there's things like that that i i really enjoy it. i like it's more that i like the fact that it got back the cast members spencer treat clark and um uh, charlene woodard and um anna taylor joy i like that they're back as like representatives of each of their man like <laughs> for this movie <laughs> i i wish they had more to do but they don't i mean i I also wish, like, Anna Taylor-Joy's character, the opening of her character is something that Split could have used, because it just kind of drops her off without a resolve of the horrible things going on in her life. But this movie, which only takes place a couple weeks later, she's, like, super happy now, and the the problem that she had has been solved. It's like, well, that's a quick arc that feels kind of a cheat, as far as where I was there. But, I mean, yeah, there's things that I, I like about this movie, for sure. Like, it's not this horrific thing what about you tyler are there positive aspects you want to go into i actually do i actually do like what they did with uh spencer treat clark right uh-huh yeah because that opening sequence lets you know that this is something that he has devoted his young life to it's something that his father came to later in life and has devoted the last 19 years to but this has been this kid's entire life and so to me the stuff that sarah paulson is saying registers a lot more when she's saying it to Spencer Treat Clark because if you want to boil it down, you know, with Bruce Willis, it's how how he is seeing himself. Whereas with Spencer Treat Clark, it's how he's seeing his father. And we all want to believe that our parents are superheroes and are doing these amazing things. And especially when it's not merely his perception, but also the fact that he's been helping uh, and that it's been a big part of his own definition uh, and the idea that she's casting doubt on that and causing him to doubt himself. Um, that really worked well for me uh, because more so than Anya Taylor-Joy or who plays Jackson's mom? Charlene Woodard. Like, like they both do fine, but they're not quite so bound up in it. You know, it's clear that Glass went away a long time ago and so his mom has just been kind of doing whatever it is she does. Whereas, you know, she, she's uh, also saddled with some of the worst dialogue in the movie. She, boy, she sure is. Yeah, I feel very bad for her. But um, but yeah, I do think that it's frustrating because the Bruce Willis character, partially because of the acting and because of, I think, what they give him to say, this stuff doesn't seem to resonate very – his his uh, point of view doesn't really re- uh, resonate with me that much, but his son's really does um, because it's like shattering his whole world. Um, but then, of course, you also get stuff that like he's in the comic book store and then he looks and there's literally a comic book that says, who are his parents? And it's like who? nobody has ever asked that of any supervillain. And why is that the cover question? Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that that actually worked for me really well. And some of the humor did. I'm a big I'm a sucker for that orderly talking to the uh, security guard. That really made me laugh quite a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So and the fact that that orderly is not a bad guy. He actually wishes uh, Elijah well uh, before this surgery. And yet he still is killed. Um, and so it's moments like that where that 
where I, I find myself caring about sort of these side characters, which is something that I think Shyamalan is good at when he is functioning at his highest capacity, you know, you get these little one or two scene characters and signs and you can kind of figure out everything about them, either like positively or negative. Michael <laughs> Showalter or the 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 guy that he's talking to or I know she's more of a supporting character, not like a cameo Cherry, or anything, but Cherry, Cherry Jones. Jones. Yeah. Uh, and so I do think that he's very good at that. And we still see we see glimmers of that here and there in, the, in this film as well. I'll speak up for Willis in one scene, actually. Uh, the. The scene with M. Night Shyamalan's cameo with Spencer Tree Clark as well, where they're where they're talking about you know if Willis is going to go on a walk. <laughs> yeah, that scene is legit hilarious. And it Shyamalan, is very funny. Shyamalan, Shyamalan actually adds to it too. Like Norm, sometimes yeah, yeah. he's kind of like hit or miss. I think like that whole sequence is like legit really funny. Like it's a great like underplaying something, and Willis seems really engaged with what that humor is, and he makes that work. And then Shyamalan comes in. <laughs> and he actually like his character is the most satisfying of this trilogy because he's <laughs> like he, he's 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 in unbreakable he, he's an unbreakable as a guy who's like he's basically uh, like prejudiced against even though uh, Willis is correct in suspecting him of like secretly carrying drugs into a football game and then he comes back in Split you don't know that he's the same character but he's in Split and he's like having his goofy cameo there then he's in this movie and he addresses the fact that he used to be a bad guy and he's like rounded himself he's become a better person it's like a weird like Shyamalan decided to give himself like character closure for this movie it is in a way that is funny and satisfying it's like oh that's nice that's a, that's if you're gonna have a director cameo for a couple seconds in each of your films he actually rounded that out pretty well I thought uh, about how, how horrible it would have been if he didn't do that like if he was in the scene and everyone's like well he was in Unbreakable and they didn't connect the characters correctly everyone would have made a hissy fit over but i'm like oh great as you said that's very satisfying that you actually bring it all together it is like i did because i again i also just watched these movies so i was like yeah, oh yeah, that's so here. funny that he did that like yeah. he, like not only did he that was he the same character from split but he was the same character from unbreakable and he made that into like a, a way to tie it all together it was like that's funny that's a funny thing that to, to kind of make work <laughs> uh, so okay so should we talk about the showdown because i because yes let's talk about the showdown it is a, it is a frustrating moment where i fully admit that i do not like the deaths and i do not like <laughs> especially bruce willis death where it's just like this weird shot from under the puddle of yeah. like a, clearly a stunt actor like being drowned and i'm like why yeah, you, think, you think willis is going to take his paltry paycheck for this movie and just submit himself to water torture yeah you know? <laughs> and it's so it is so anticlimactic which is perhaps his point but um and the only interesting death is is the beast or the horde's death where he has that moment with anya taylor joy and then he gets shot and then there's that cool pan down to his stomach bleeding that's the best one. But even Glass's death, like, I, I actually thought to myself, all he gets, he just gets punched and he just sits there dying. And I thought it would have been so much cooler if Sarah Paulson, after she gives him that little speech where she's like, there are more and you were right, is if she had just, like, tapped him in the chest as a final, like, she, she, that's all she needed to do and she finished him. You know, that would have been so much cooler, but he just sits there and pay. So these deaths were really annoying to me, but the overall showdown as it's to what it achieved didn't, didn't annoy me. What? Just just to talk about the death, really, it's subversion for subversion's sake. Like that's yeah, what it felt yeah. like to me. And then obviously, like, it's like we're not going to give you a happy ending. We're going to kill all three of them. It's right. Like, and oh, I don't. Okay. And I don't. Aside from my co-host on my podcast, I don't know anyone who would actually speak positively about these deaths. It's not the death that annoys me. It's the way they were played out and what he did with it. And it, and the weird question to me is like, was this just a mere sake of money? You know, not having the ability to do something more, or was it his really true intention to have them die in the most boring of ways? I don't that's, know. 
that's the annoying thing about smart people that you know are smart because they make bad decisions anyway. <laughs> like that's 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 just life right there. Where I'm like, okay, I mean, there's other ways to write something like this where you don't necessarily need to have Bruce Willis come out every time you want to make a you know a Mr. Glass movie. Yeah, the, the Mr. Glass Chronicles. I'm sure this will be called. But I mean, yeah, it's it's a miserable like way to like look at things. And if you want to talk about uh, Spencer G. Clark's character Tyler, that's another part that I, that really annoyed me where. There, these are important things that are happening as far as these characters are losing their lives, and we're not focused on these people. We don't yeah. get any real reaction from Spencer Tree Clark over his dad dying in front of him. Like, instead, we're cutting back to Sarah Paulson monologuing, and it's like, yeah. what? I mean, once, what are once, we supposed to connect to? Once yeah. Bruce Willis is dead, like, Spencer Tree Clark, like, runs over. But, yeah, I think it just speaks to – again, I, not to not to belabor this, but that's a, that's sort of a classic first draft mistake. Is, and I don't know. Maybe he did several drafts, but I've, <laughs> I've can only hope. I do. So I, I do some script consulting on the side, and uh, it's gotten to the point where I tell people like, don't give me anything before a third draft, um, because they'll probably if they'll probably see their own issues, event like the bigger ones. And one of them is, I have all these characters. They're all in one place, and I don't know what to do with all of them. Um, and that is a very classic first draft mistake. And it, and that. Yeah, just having these three characters just kind of sit. I mean, Anya Taylor Joy is a bit more uh, active uh, and involved, but yeah, just having these three characters just sit and kind of watch seems like a real oversight, especially considering that uh, one of them is watching her son and the other is watching his father. You know, um, and the most and the most invested one is the one who is watching the guy that almost killed her. So um, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it in a way it almost feels like. Narratively, it feels like Dick Halloran in The Shining, you know, <laughs> where we really feel like we're headed towards something. And again, I, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily mind that they all die, but it's such a lead up. And then to have them die in the way they do with the tone they do surround with the dialogue they have. It just feels like such a oh. All right. And, then, guess, and then, uh, then we'll move on. And then, yeah, and then he he. he th I think the only point is for him to lead it right into the next part of it, which is that reveal of like, oh well, this was for us to see that they died and yet they're on camera and that they didn't want them to know they were killed. And then, you know, it, it's such a, it's such a. There's he's pulling at the most weakest string to get us to that next part, and I don't. Uh, it's it is frustrating. Yeah, that's that's that. You know what I think. Yeah, I think you've hit on something because the whole shadow – like we don't know about the shadowy organization until they are literally dying. So we are having emotions at the same time that he's revealing plot, pl like plot that we have not – has not been hinted at previously. And so in doing so, you undercut both. Mm. You know, in, On one hand, you're just like, wait, what are, you what are you telling me? I'm trying to pay attention to this character that I've known for 19 years dying in a puddle. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to – I'm trying to feel something here and you're giving me information. So now the feeling is undercut because we're distracted. But then the information, it's like someone who chooses the absolute wrong time to tell you something. That's it's, um, the, that's the, that's the problem with making this a sequel to a film 19 years later, where it's, if this was the, I mean, if Mr. Glass, who says himself, it's an origin story. If this was the first film, if there was no split or unbreakable, I think you could digest something like that easier. Sure. It's like, okay. It's leading to something bigger in another film, maybe, or just, it's a neat thing to, resolve this thing on obviously you'd have a lot of different structure or what have you but you know for a movie that is posing as a sequel to two different films that you have connections to for various reasons it makes it unsatisfying and 
frankly weird to like see so many things that are going on all at the same time and like how you're supposed to react to those things and it it feels like an ultimate version of what a Shyamalan film is as far as having twist on top of twist on top of twist while also <laughs> giving you character on top of character on top of character and giving you theme on top of th- it's like everything that Shyamalan likes to do in his movies he's done in like this <laughs> this giant the biggest way possible on a 20 million dollar budget and it just doesn't work it doesn't work for me it doesn't work in a way that's satisfying well, either even if it's a darkly satisfying way it doesn't work it doesn't come around in a way that gives me what i want to feel like this is a rewarding experience but okay so question for you Aaron, because tyler mentioned earlier that he actually thought the the idea of this shadowy organization trying to cover up hero uh, superheroes and superpowered people is actually a cool idea, perhaps not executed correctly. Would you agree with that? Would you at least say, hey, that that uh, that theme here, whether or not it was presented well in any way, shape, or form, is at least an interesting kind of thing to chew on by the end? Oh, I do. I think that, I mean, again, I think this movie is just a pile of great ideas that are not executed upon properly. <laughs> like uh, that's, okay. I mean, I think there's, there's a way to do, I mean, have you seen Glass twice, Alex? Did you see it again? Yeah, yeah, why, why? What was well, I supposed so- to get the second time? <laughs> Well, that's what I'm about to ask you. Where did you find yourself seeing things that you didn't see the first time? No, and you know, actually, one of the things I looked for, my friend said, "Hey, look for the clover anywhere else." It, it literally does not appear any other yeah, time, right? And she, uh, Sarah Paulson's character, has a, a sweater on that covers her wrist the rest of the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. But just all of this, like the the next time around, I didn't pick up on anything. I only thought more about the building and what its purpose was but that's it it's it was my, more my, just following you know seeing it seeing it again for that sake of just knowing it more fresh in my mind that was all and i, I do and so i asked that just because yeah i i with other shyamalan films i do think he's done a he does a great job of when he when he does have reveals or what have you in his films he does make movies that are designed to be watched again where you can be like oh yeah i could pick this up it doesn't necessarily make the film better or worse but there are he's leading you somewhere it seems more pronounced because you know where it's going I didn't feel, I mean, granted, I've only seen it the once, but I'm at, that's why I'm asking you. I didn't feel like this led me anywhere where, you know, if I saw it again, I'd be like, oh, that's why this happened and that's why this needed to happen or what have you. It just feels like, all right, we're at the end now, so here's all the cards on the table. Which, again, speaks to why I think he's gone downhill as far as how he presents these sort of things. Where you have the thing like the, uh, what, the East Rail, it's called this thing the East Rail Trilogy, and you're supposed to, like, I guess be surprised by the whole train connection between the three, but I knew that going into this movie. Mm-hmm. And you the, the characters reveal that by way of Anya Taylor-Joy stares into a piece of paper or on a computer screen and reads, like, I guess that, what, that uh, Mr. Glass did the train thing and that James McAvoy's character, that, that Kevin's dad was on the train. And instead of a better Shyamalan movie where he'd, present that to you in a way that's like sneaky he just has a character read it while you can't see it and then eventually tells it to you later it's like where, what happened to the Shyamalan that could hide things in plain sight where's that guy because he's not here in this movie and that kind of pissed me off mm, you need to talk to you need to ask him directly I do need to ask him directly <laughs> you need to confront him and say hey where have you been and why aren't you coming back soon um, did you guys like the action in this showdown sequence no yeah, the way, the there, was there action I mean the, like the only action shot is the one from the trailer where he's like running across the lawn <laughs> that's it and and moving a lifting a van and uh and he handled it like he, he handled it similar to like signs where it's like from different angles where like yeah. they're inside of a van and he's pushing people up against the van and stuff like it's it's like he's he's showing that he's trying to show you from an alternate perspective which i can admire i just don't think it was very impressive i, mean, I guess it felt more like because i'm limited this is how i'm showing it to you which again i don't want to fault a film for but as far as the result 
I it just didn't do anything for me. I would defend it. No, go ahead. It kind of makes you wonder if uh, because. You know, we're talking about that, oh, well, this is a, a world where superheroes exist and comic books are sort of prophetic and, and that sort of thing um, in their own way. And Mr. Glass has been believing this for a long time. And so he he's he's obsessed with with comic books. Uh, do you think that, I'm, I'm not even asking this fully facetiously. Do you think that he looked at that showdown and was a little bit disappointed uh, <laughs> where he's just like, huh? This is not as interesting. It's like, I mean, objectively, yeah, it's interesting that I'm watching a superhero and a supervillain fight, but uh, I really thought there'd be more here based on the comic books that I'm so obsessed with. <laughs> I would. That's a very good point. I, I, I was thinking that the I would defend it against what you're saying, Aaron, only in the sake that it follows with what this this film, at least, is trying to say, which is that. These guys might not be superheroes, but they have a little bit of extra ability, as we truly find out by the end, you know, for sure. And that this isn't the kind of ability that, you know, uh, the uh, the Marvel Universe presents or the DC Universe presents, but like a little bit of extra strength, a little bit of a smarter mind, a little bit of this uh, ability to climb walls or whatever you want to call it. And that, that that is him trying to stay within that realm of the, the universe he has built, at least for Glass. And I would defend that sake for like, if he would have, if uh, if if the beast would have taken the the police car and thrown it across the entire parking lot or across the entire thing, like that wouldn't have been as believable as he does, which as uh, sorry as what he does, which is just lift it up and tip it over. I yeah I don't di- I don't disagree with that, and <laughs> I mean if anything, this film could have been a little bit wackier just because the tone of this film is wackier than Unbreakable, which is so subdued and. Even Split has its own kind of rhythm of how things kind of work in that reality. This film's more like it's it's openly saying, "Hey, we're a comic book movie now." Um, but I yes, I, again, I didn't walk into this movie thinking I was going to get some action extravaganza either. At the same time, yeah, I'm not speaking to necessarily the powers that are on display, but just more of the presentation of them. And I think that yeah, goes to yeah. what Tyler's saying as far as if you're watching this at a distance and you're not seeing crazy angles to kind of make it seem you know, out of this world, you're just watching like two guys kind of push each other around a lot. And it's like, yeah, that's yeah. Like, which, which takes us to the, the last scene in the train station where it's, mm-hmm. it's the big reveal because the characters in the movie ostensibly live in our world where there's nothing, there are no superheroes except in fiction and that sort of thing. And then this, and then every, you see everybody looking at their phone and you see news footage and all of that. If so, I'll ask you guys in life, like in your real life, if you saw a news report, seeing what we saw in the parking lot of glass, would you be amazed or would you think, huh? And then I move on. That's a really strong man. <laughs> that's all I would yeah. say. It's like he's probably on some kind of drug. <laughs> I don't think it would make it to the news to begin with because I think they'd be like, well, this is just on YouTube, and why would I believe this? I right. mean. I, I exist in the real in reality. I see things on YouTube that I know, are, or I just saw this movie, which is fake because it's a movie. So why am I supposed to believe some random video of people throwing shit around like that? That makes them superheroes. I, I don't. It's. I get that the logic of this movie just suggests like it happened because it happened. So you're supposed to just buy into the fact that these characters put this footage out there and now it's viral and everyone believes it. But as far as myself thinking as a grounded individual who exists in a seemingly similar reality to these people, except for the fact that superheroes presumably don't exist. I'm just thinking. Presumably, presumably. Presumably, yeah. I've got to speak presumably. Because, you know, I don't know. Maybe somebody's outside right now scaling walls. But, oh, and they're trying I'm to get it up. But I'm you just know what? Oh, I'm sorry, just, go I'm ahead. Looking, I'm just looking at this thinking, 
<laughs> why, why is everyone so convinced that this footage on YouTube is the legit real deal and that the world has changed now? And that I just couldn't buy into that. That, that also bugged me about the ending. You know how he could have sold it? Is if you see a 12-year-old kid sitting in his, in his bedroom watching this on YouTube and then you see him do something extraordinary. Yeah, there you go. Like you see him start to feel like, oh, this thing that I thought I could do, but I've, I've pushed it out of my brain. I guess it's not so far-fetched. Maybe there is something special about me. And then he embraces it, smash cut to black. Origin story, right? This is the like, last Jedi ending. <laughs> You're kind of, about. yeah. I did, I did have that thought that like that, you know, some people mock that shot, but to me, it's like, no, that's the idea. It's, yeah. it's all about passing from one generation to the next. And, and if this is all about Mr. Glass trying to inspire people, because on one hand, it's, it's trying to get people to accept a more magical reality. But I think in other people, in, in other ways, it's trying to get people to acknowledge, uh, their own specialness. Uh, and it would be nice to see that, uh, yeah, at the end. I think that gets to part of my issue with this movie as a whole, where I think that theme, which Alex, I know you responded to, that's more important to me ultimately than the rest of the world involved. The per, the you know, getting to something personal as opposed to something you know macro, where I don't care if the whole world suddenly realizes something because they saw it on YouTube, but I would care if I see somebody else acknowledging, hey, I have this in me, and I'm going to, I'm choosing to embrace that because that makes me special, even if it's not even a superpower, just you know, being you. I have two different color eyes, whatever, just something not you know something like that. So it's the fact that the movie doesn't, for me, doesn't focus enough on that idea. Instead, you have characters. You basically have Sarah Paulson scorning others for daring to believe this, but you don't give me enough either with her or with the plot of this movie to have me embrace this aspect of how should I feel about these personal ideas of being like wounded because I'm being told I'm delusional. It's not hitting that hard enough for me to care. So, yeah, at the end of this, I just have this like giant train station shot of people seeing a video on their phone, and I'm like, I don't care, whatever. Like, fine. Yeah, that's that shot seemed – it was so – ambitious and the music was rising and it was meant to be this big deal and it was such a shrug for me for everyone yeah <laughs> i i don't know even yeah even people i know who like the movie were like that shot was bad that ending is not that ending shot is just should my friend uh, or my co-host on my podcast really wanted it to end with her scream in the hallway which i agree with that would have been a great other great point to just cut at yeah yeah, but even like, that I mean, wouldn't even that wouldn't have been satisfying because again, it was only it was only introduced a few minutes before that she's been yeah, working sure, so sure. hard for this thing. Yeah, I mean it speaks to the B Cinema score for this. I mean I know it opened big, not as big as tracking suggested for it. It opened it opened well. Like it's not no, no one's going to be losing money on this thing. It cost twenty million, mostly self funded, and it's and it's already made a hundred million worldwide. So it's like yeah, everyone's going to be fine. But I mean it, it didn't open like you know. A whole bunch over it opened pretty much the same as Split did uh, two years ago exactly, um, and but the cinema score is a B, which in cinema score terms that's like you know, that's not great, that's like below average. So it's like okay, people, and I think it speaks to the ending. It speaks to well, all the heroes died, and I have kind of a shrug of a left. I'm left with like some secret society that I'll probably never see again. The B is more fair to me than the Fs that a lot of critics are giving this. And that's, well, I mean, yeah. Fs are something that's like, you know, that's Mother. That's something that's like, this is so far out there. It's nothing that, like, the advertiser Mother doesn't was deserve that. It. No, it doesn't deserve it, but I can, I can understand right, why the audience, audience would lead to an F for that movie. Yeah, and yeah. that makes that if anything, that's encouraging. That's a movie that's, like, showing somebody something that's way out there that's different from what they expected. 
A B is just like, well, I wanted to like this, but I didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like an, an F cinema score speaks more to how the film was advertised and did it actually uh-huh. uh, live up to that. And I, in the case of Mother, a movie that I don't really like, but I respect the hell out of, you know, when you see the trailer for you, like, oh, boy, that is not if I would give it an F as well, if that's what I expected uh, going <laughs> I in. Can, I still contend that for the movie that's there and what they had to market, I think the trailer does a good job of setting up. There's something weird going on here and it's going to sure. be thrilling. Like, I, I don't think it does a bad job. It might and. That's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, I had not seen the trailer for Mother when I went to see the movie, and it was the last. It was the last showing of the day. So as I was leaving, one of the ushers said, "What did you see?" And I said, "Mother." He goes, "Oh, was it scary?" And I was like, "What? <laughs> Why would I? No. Why would you think that?" And then I watched the trailer. And I thought, "Oh boy, yeah, people are going to get real mad." I do think yeah. there's scary things about it. But again, that's a mother conversation. There are dis- <laughs> there are disturbing things. I wouldn't say Fair. necessarily scary. Fair enough. Any other thoughts on? glass or can i bring a back into this conversation <laughs> go ahead and bring good, him back yeah because this all has right. been a good full discussion on like all aspects of it which i like and they, d- despite our uh coverage of negative and positive i i appreciate that we can actually have a discussion about this film so many films i'll see and i'm like i don't have anything to say about this but this film is like even if i didn't like it i'm like i have a lot to say about it anyway I, i'd much rather have a podcast conversation between people that know what they're talking about than just gonna do snarky back and forths on twitter so i mean this let's is, this is, let's this. not make fun of me here okay <laughs> I, I see what you guys are doing and yeah i'm glad that sam jackson is 70 years old and i didn't know about it okay my bad well just you'll be happy in captain marvel where he looks like he's 38 the entire movie so hey man they they did him right they didn't do lauren surfing right but they did they did sam jackson right let's well, go sam jackson didn't blow up over those years but um <laughs> you can't what, blame him for that <laughs> i'm not last i'm not potty shaming anybody last thing we do here when should people go and see this movie i'll remind you that abe's back on so we don't need to spoil or anything but when should people go and see glass i would say they shouldn't <laughs> okay oh wow I, <laughs> what are the ranges? I mean, at this it's, point, what, what, no, I know. I, I was gonna say go to like a theater, or should they go yeah, to a theater, dollar Netflix. theater? Should they wait for Netflix? Should they wait for uh, HBO? Yes, I would say if you're interested in it, see it at the dollar theater. If not, just wait for DVD. You're not, not nothing's gonna affect you either way. I wouldn't say not see it, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, if you're, of course, if you're interested in it, it is, it is kind of not a not necessarily an oddity, but it is definitely a little curio. Um, and so it's if if you saw Unbreakable and you saw Split um, and you were interested. But that's the other thing is, in a way, in my own way, I kind of wish I hadn't seen it. Now, of course, I'm glad that I see every movie I see, good or bad. But in a way, it's just like I wish I wish that I had I still had the potential as opposed to the reality. Um, and this so is why, uh, this is why I like to ask this question. I think it, it's a little, it's more fun to ask this than, you know, is it an A or a B? Like, you know, yeah. I, 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 so I would say it don't pay full price. And I actually don't think it's visually interesting enough to, to warrant a big screen watch. So I would say, wait for DVD. If you're, if you're, if you feel like you have to see it. Yeah. I'm uh, in that same boat. I would say you could you could wait to rent this on a you know a Blu-ray or uh, watch watch it on a, a premium streaming system or what have you. Well, um, you guys sold me. I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to hear your thoughts on this movie. Nah, yeah, uh, I'm gonna check it out. I'm, I'm, yeah. You know, that's what we do. We're a movie review podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes our lengthy review of Glass. Thank you, Alex and Tyler. I think that was a great conversation. I was very happy with that. Um, but yeah, let's move on now. Let's get to our... Hey, what, uh, what time is it? Aaron, I think it's time for a game here. 
Little known fact, that's actually the song that turns Aaron into the Beast. It's his, uh, one of his many 23 characters. Yeah, there's a reverse version of that that takes me back down in the same way that we take down the Hulk when he gets too big. It's like, <laughs> it, it Sounds getting real low. Sounds real new. <laughs> exactly. All right, I have a game for you guys this week. It's called Twisted. <laughs> okay. It's all trivia from the Ashley Judd, Samuel L. Jackson, Andy Garcia film, Twisted. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's what I that's watch every true. night. That's not true at all. Oh, I, I, would, I would have so much more respect for you if it were true. <laughs> I. So, a little backstory here. Abe and I tend to make games based off the title first and work backwards. At least that's how I do mine. <laughs> so, so when I wrote Twisted down, I was thinking, what if I did do trivia for just the movie Twisted? <laughs> but I didn't. Instead, I have a game where I'm going to relay what the twist of a movie was and you have to guess what that twist is wait wait well, you're gonna movie is you the twi- oh, oh. Yeah. i'm going to t- describe a twist to you and you have yeah. to tell me what the movie is okay i got it all right it's pretty straightforward yeah if you think you know the answer say your name and then the answer okay mild spoilers audience listening for this one but I, I feel like <laughs> sorry to everyone listening i feel yeah. like these are pretty well known um there we go first one bruce willis was dead the whole time abe tyler abe six cents that is correct Here's the next one. It turns out Verbal Kent is Kaiser Soze. Tyler. Tyler. Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects is the correct answer. This is this is not as much a game where anyone will get it wrong. It's a matter of speed. Yeah, who can, who can get it faster, yeah. Well, I will say I this. I was hoping you would obscure these twists more. I, continue, I, continue. I, I will say this. Let me finish all the whole thing before, oh, you, before you try oh, Okay. Oh, Fun. It's harder. It turns out that a boating accident wasn't the problem. It was a giant shark feasting on folks around Amity Island, and it's up to the sheriff, a local boatman, and a shark expert to stop it, which they do in an adventurous portion of the film, recruiting in the de- re- resulting in the death of a shark. Abe. Abe? Jaws. Yeah, it's Jaws. I wish it was Jaws 2. No. <laughs> but alas. It's thrilling. What are you talking about? It's horse. Here's the next one. It was a sled. Tyler. Tyler. Citizen Kane. It's, yeah, it's oh. Here's the next one. They're actually eating people. Tyler. Tyler? Soylent Green. It's so green. <laughs> Could also be Snowpiercer. Here's here's the next one. Could have been. Edward Norton is Tyler Durden. <laughs> Tyler. Tyler? Fight Club. I mean, Alex, you thought this was so easy, but you're not saying anything. Because <laughs> it's too easy. I like I like your real challenges. <laughs> well, here's the next one. It turns out that rather than acting as enemies, Woody and Buzz could actually do better as a team, especially after Buzz came to a self-realization that he's actually a toy, helping him eventually find true peace with Woody as well, allowing him to elaborate escape with Woody and to have end up back with Andy. Tyler. <laughs> Tyler? Obviously, it's Monsters, Inc. Oh, that's incorrect, actually. So. What? <laughs> that's crazy. Alex, it's Toy Story. Alex just sabotaged himself. Alex, so Alex oh, get a no. Point. Oh, he made it. <laughs> Here's the next one. They're on Earth all along. Abe. Tyler. Abe? Uh, Abe? I actually don't know. I just buzzed in just so I could <laughs> answer. Tyler. 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 Okay. Uh, Planet of the Apes. It's Planet of the Apes. Oh! It could also be After Earth. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of movies yeah. this could fit for. I, I, I kind of thought After Earth was the first thing that came to my mind, but I was like, why would he say After Earth? I mean, that's not it. They're just, they're going to Earth. That's <laughs> the mission. There's a, there's a, there, there are a couple <laughs> of other movies where they actually is Earth again. Aside yeah, yeah, from Tyler Planet. got the correct one, so there we I go. I mean, it could have ah, been uh, Shenanigans. Here's the next one. Norman Bates was dressing up as a mother. Tyler. Tyler? Psycho. It's like Tyler's really good at this game. Tyler is just destroying this game. Here's the next one. There are no monsters and everything's set in modern day. Tyler. Abe? Happening. Incorrect. Tyler. Tyler? The Village. It's The Village. Oh, The Happening was Mark Mark Wahlberg. Oh, man. Here's the next one. It turns out that Casey Affleck just needs more time to work on some issues, but he'll still be able to check in on his nephew now and again, but he won't be living in his hometown because it's just too difficult. Abe, I'll let you have it. (laughs) Thank you. Manchester by the Sea. It's Manchester by the Sea. What was the twist in that movie? 
are you talking about? It's thrilling. It was a thrilling twist. You're a ridiculous <laughs> person. You know that. <laughs> I feel I feel ashamed that I'm doing well somehow now. Well, guess what? You won the game. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. oh well, hang on. I've got a couple. Yeah. Can yeah. I say one? Sure. Okay. Uh, she's her sister and her daughter. Aaron. Yes. It's Chinatown. That's correct. <laughs> you two were made I, for this game. I thought that one was. I thought that one was coming. I, Here's another like one. It. Here's another one. <laughs> Yeah. What if there never was an Aaron? Oh, hey. Yes. Uh, it's, um, oh my gosh, just the one with Aaron and Abe in it. It's, yeah. it's... Primer. Primer. <laughs> uh, primal Fear, actually. Oh, primal uh, fear. Because uh, the... Edward Norton is, he's not, yeah. Yeah, because the, the multiple personalities, and you think that Roy is the personality, when in fact it is the character Aaron. Also, because I'm talking to Aaron, I like to view it as my ideal version of this episode. There never was an Aaron. Especially now. Okay. I just forgot that his I, name got, was Aaron. I've got one for you guys. Okay. Uh, it's a line that comes up a lot on this podcast. Horse don't get second chances. Identity. Identity is correct. That is a line <laughs> said by a 14-year-old boy in Identity at the end of the movie. Nice. That's just a fun movie. It's a it weird movie. Kind of, it's I did this this actually not that we necessarily need to get into this because I actually have somewhere to be, but um, yeah. I do I like I like Split. I'd say a lot, um, but as I said, there are some I have some issues there with the. Uh, dissociative identity disorder and the portrayal thereof. Uh, same with glass and then stuff like identity. I feel like almost any mental disorder at this point in film history, almost any mental disorder is, I, I feel like they're trying to treat it somewhat respectfully. That's, that's the one where, but like DID is the one where like, all right, we can still do anything we want with this. It's so sensationalistic. It's an opportunity to talk for an actor to like really do some stuff. Like, I don't think it's and something like identity as as fun of a movie as it is. Uh, that I think is maybe the biggest version. But Split is right behind where they just take this what I would venture to say uh, this hellish uh, existence. And they're like, yeah, but it can also be super entertaining. High five. I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I feel like I could apply genre to that more, where it doesn't sure. get it doesn't get to be mainly because it speaks to grander themes or what have you, or just the fact that it's exploitation for the sake of exploitation. Sure. Which in a horror film that's designed to do something like this, I'm not getting hung up about the moral ramifications of what I perceive as to be a person with mental disabilities versus what I see an actor doing in a movie that's designed to entertain me in a certain way. I see a bigger issue in serious Oscar contending movies that portray sure. certain things in a way that get perpetuated because they won awards. So of course they're important and they mean something. Right, that's more, right. that's, that's more of an issue to me than watching something like identity. Mm. Anyway, that was some serious <laughs> talk. Let's move on. <laughs> that was games. Yay. <laughs> let's get to our, let's get some feedback. Some feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where I go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We had a number of questions we asked the listeners, and they gave us answers. But before we get to all of those, we still have our poll question for the week. Uh, this is where we put two movies against each other uh, with our listeners voted on. And uh, and uh, the for film that gets voted on gets saved. The other film that loses gets erased from existence completely. That's how we play the game around here. And so this week I put non-comic book superhero movie edition up. With featuring Chronicle versus Sky High, mm, two high school superhero movies. 
it just looking at the poster, there's such a disparity between them because Sky they're, High is so really bright nice. and colorful, and like you've got Chronicle, everyone's like in like Seattle colors. Yeah, it's dark gray. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm choosing. What, yeah, go ahead. Before I get to the what the listeners thought, where would you where would you guys land between Chronicle and Sky High? That I'm is kinda so hard. To save Chronicle. That's why I like this poll because it is it's like they are two very random. I mean, they they fit the theme, but they are very different from each other. Yeah, the only reason why is because Steve Montgomery is a solid guy's name to run for president for a student class body, and then Michael B. Jordan goes on to become Creed and uh, and uh, also uh, Killmonger. Yeah, so. keep in mind that yeah, by eliminating a movie, we we change film history. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I would probably choose Chronicle, but I do enjoy Sky High quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Chronicle, I think actually is a really effective version of what Shaman was kind of trying to do in glass, uh, especially with the la- with all those camera angles and stuff like that. Chronicle just does that better while still having some pretty good spectacle as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. I like Chronicle a lot. Yeah. I'm a big chron- We're big Chronicle fans of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Magenta from Sky High was uh, in my Taekwondo class over at Berkeley. How's she doing? Okay. Uh, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I assume you just keep up with everybody you've ever known. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I stalk them on Facebook. Okay. I do like that we're it's, acknowledging that. It's like that's... the You show on, on Netflix. I'm trying to get back like... to Netflix. I do like that we're acknowledging Sky High as a good movie because it's a solid film. Like, it is it a good movie, yeah. It does it does its job. Yeah. I think it's a fun movie. They they keep talking about a sequel. I don't necessarily need to see one, but I'm like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> if Kurt Russell wanted to put the tights back on and get the gang back together, um, I would choose Chronicle as well for basically the reasons you described. That said, Chronicle twist ending lost this competition. Oh my gosh, forty forty percent to sixty percent. I mean, it was Friends close. Of the show. I, I didn't I would not have seen that I kind of thought Sky High was going to get slaughtered in this now, case, but now I was we have wrong. to uh, take away everything we've ever said about Ryan, Michael or uh, Ryan Coogler movies. <laughs> well, he would you know he would have found somebody else. Who would have found somebody? But regardless, yeah, we have to erase Chronicle from existence now. Yeah, that's sort of that. It's really going to bring down uh, Josh Trank's uh, credibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ouch. All right, well, let's move into the questions now. Uh, the first question we ask everybody, and feel free to answer, uh, Alex and Tyler. What's a director-actor combo that you are a big fan of? Alan, friend of the show, has PTA and Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, Scorsese and Robert De Niro, Tarantino and Sam Jackson. Dan has Mufune and Kurosawa. Chris has Easy, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. I also like Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. Friend of the show, Maxwell, has Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Manish has Hay- uh, Hitchcock and James Stewart or and or Grace Kelly. Uh, Nguyen has Bong Joon-ho and Song Kang-ho, or more recently, Tilda Swinton. Uh, and lastly, Luke has, honestly not a fan of directors sticking with the same actor, it usually gets stale quickly. That said, Carpenter's three major Kurt Russell movies are in- unimpeachable. Luke, I feel as though your answer just uh, ate your other answer. You cannibalized yourself there. <laughs> How about you guys? Any uh, director-actor combos you're a big fan of? Hitchcock, because Hitchcock and Stewart is what I was going to say. Good. I think you wrote an essay on that in your previous book. I, that's correct. I did. <laughs> and you know what? I wasn't even thinking of that when I thought of it. Look I at just you. thought of it just now. I just, I just remembered that. Um, I mean, that is a good one. The Buffoonie Kurosawa one comes to mind pretty easily as well. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of others that weren't. Mentioned. It's interesting. People, when they say Scorsese, they mention De Niro. I don't know. If, did somebody say Scorsese and DiCaprio? Cause they yeah, have got, been, yeah, yeah, we got one on the, did yeah, they say that? Role. Okay. All right. I mean, yeah, that one does come up as well, obviously. For they, they've done quite a few. 
I was suddenly going to mention because I've seen it's been on my mind recently, or I mean, rather recent is Yorgos Lanthimos and Rachel Weisz. I just love that he what he does with her characters and and how how eccentric she gets and I like based on the two so far give us more you know I would, I would mm-hmm. say him and uh, him and uh, Olivia Coleman as well she's also in the Lobster and ah uh, yeah 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 for sure. um I do think that Spielberg does pretty good work with Tom Hanks that's what I was um, thinking too yeah. like I mean catch me if you can like and and I think it's good work out of him I mean yeah. obviously Saving Private Ryan he's great uh, as just this everyman but also catch me if you can I don't love Bridge of Spies but I think he's very good in it Aaron was um, in it he was on those Bridge of the Spies he was on those Bridge of the Spies <laughs> that, was, that was the movie sorry it's our old running joke don't yeah. worry <laughs> um, but yeah no I, I was also thinking about Spielberg and, and, and Hanks as well and then kind of like Spielberg and his, his most recent muse uh Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance, yeah. He wears that hat. He wears a hat, but I mean, like, they do... I mean, the BFG wasn't incredible, but it was a good performance for Mark Rylance. I would say the same about Ready Player One. I think Mark Rylance is oh, very good. good point. Yeah, good. Uh, I'll throw this one in there. Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie seem to be uh, making a making a go of it. Right? Making making more Mission Impossible. Since, since, well, since Valkyrie, they've been working together in various parts, as a, as a, at least as a screenwriter. Oh, uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, is pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's keep moving. Um. Let's see. Color is important in glass. What are some films where specific color choices play a big role? Mike writes Schindler's List. Todd writes Dick Tracy. Ricardo yeah. has mm-hmm. Speed Racer. Did you see all those colors? Alan has <laughs> The Departed, Traffic, and Goodfellas. Uh, Corrine has The Grand Budapest Hotel. Emma has Schindler's List. Callum has Sixth Sense, also for use of red. Alessandro has the sixth sense obviously came to mind. By the way, guys, my lovely fiance and I are on our way to LA from Europe, waiting for our board our flight for a few days vacation. Any advice on some must see movie related sites that we should go see? <laughs> it's a long answer about color, but I, I didn't read that. I didn't read that one beforehand. <laughs> but, um, I don't think this is going to apply to by the time that he we get to this uh, <laughs> on the podcast. You, you would have already been here. Uh, must see movie related site. Uh, go see Man's Chinese Theater. There you go. Oh, I see what he's saying. Oh, movie-related sites. Yeah. Go to Angel's Flight, even though I don't think it's open anymore. No, it is open now. Is it? Yeah, hmm. La La Land, like, resurged it. Hmm. There you go. I thought it, like, opened, like, ten years ago, and there was, like, an accident, and then they closed it, and then now it's, it's reopened it's or something. On an it, hour, like, in downtown LA not too long ago, it was open. It was so open? You can, you can get on it. And, and of course, uh, the the um, observatory, uh, uh, Griffiths. Yeah, Griffith. yeah, yeah it's another good one. And then you can see where the Rocketeer had its climax. Yeah, and if you really want to go... Specifically the Rocketeer, no other movie. <laughs> and if you want to drive out to the desert, go see those two dinosaurs from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Nice. <laughs> There's the uh, I don't know I don't remember what street it's on, but you can see the the street from Halloween in Pasadena. Hey, there you go. Oh, that's go. That's, a, that's an easy thing to Google right there. It's like yeah. Halloween, you know, Michael Myers yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, Manish writes uh, eyes wide shut. Justin has Crimson Peak. Chris has Pleasantville and Schindler's List. Use of red. Maxwell has Pan's Labyrinth, Hero, and Pleasantville to make a few choices. Uh, Nguyen has anything from Shyamalan, Del Toro, or Chan Wook, Park Chan Wook, uh, The Godfather, Alfonso Cuaron's early work, Tarsim sings The Cell and The Fall, Edgar writes Baby Driver, Black Panther, Holy Moly about a breath, anything from Zhang Yimou to especially Hero. Um, and Christopher has Guardians of the Galaxy, Reflections in a Golden Eye, 2001 Space Odyssey, The Great Pitabest Hotel, Vertigo, Marnie, Schindler's List, and Sin City. Okay. I would also, I would add The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Mm, there you uh, go. Do the right thing. Yeah, that was a great. And, that's a great one. and did somebody say Suspiria? 
Nope, but that's oh. a great pick. Okay. Yeah. I would also add, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. That's another useful. Oh, word. yeah. Well, what about Kevin, then? Let's bring him up. <laughs> oh, boy, this is going to be awkward. Uh, <laughs> here he is, guys. <laughs> Kevin. Who played Kevin in that movie? What's his name? Um, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's a guy from, uh, from Beast of the Southern... No, I'm sorry. From Beast of the Southern Wild, yeah. <laughs> he was great. Those Quavage beasts were fantastic. Wallace. Remember yeah. when Ezra Miller and Quavajade Wallace were on that raft? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to the next question here. Who's Who... the man? <laughs> I'm the man, he says in a really sad, somber voice. Hey, Ben uh, Zeitlin's finally got a new film this year. Does he really? I believe. Is it at Sundance, sure. Alex? Do you know? Uh, what happened to Ben? I don't think so. <laughs> And I'm like looking it up, like what? Oh yeah, Ben Zeitlin—he's got a new film that's supposedly coming out okay. this year. I know. I'm I'm currently looking. Oscar-nominated director Ben Zeitlin. Great score. Which he definitely—it's not at Sundance. I'll tell you that. Okay. okay. Uh, next question: Who are some performers that are great at both playing heroes and villains? Alan, friend of the show, has Ray Fiennes, Daniel Day-Lewis, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Justin has Vin Diesel, Val Kilmer, Christian Bale, and John Malkovich. Friend of the show, Maxwell, has Denzel Washington, Liam Neeson, and yes, Samuel L. Jackson. Mike Jones has Sam Jackson as the best. Christopher has uh, Jeremy Renner, uh, Michael Keaton, Josh Brolin, Charlize Theron, Glenn Close, Alec Baldwin, James Earl Jones, Viggo Mortensen, Lena Headley, Liev Schreiber, Jeff Bridges, Sigourney Weaver. Todd has Arnold, uh, which uh, he's not talking about uh, Hey Arnold. And uh, Guy Pierce, Michael Bean, and Michael Douglas from Christine. <sighs> okay, performers... Uh- playing both heroes and villains uh i would say um sorry i, I feel like because i mentioned it earlier but i will say uh orson wells um <laughs> even though it's not like his heroes are you know sparkling or anything like that but like lady from shanghai like he just he can he can carry a movie as a protagonist but then in like third man in touch of evil he can play a pretty damn good villain the stranger yeah <laughs> that's a that's an underrated film and that's an underrated performance I, I like the I like the I feel like that's a performance where he's like I see this I see where my climax is going to be and I work backwards from there. Like that's yeah. kind of what it feels like. And along those lines, Edward G. Robinson. I mean, in like Double oh, Indemnity yeah. and The Stranger, like a, a really good hero, but then obviously Little Caesar and and uh, other gangster Key movies, Key Largo. Yeah. Key Largo. Hmm. We know movies. Um, let's. <laughs> let's <laughs> here. Um, who are your favorite movie geniuses? Maxwell has Will Hunting. Alan has Val Kilmer in Real Genius and Goldfinger. Uh, Todd has Real Genius as well. John has uh, Weird Science. Was it Wyatt and um, Anthony Michael Hall's character? Um, Christopher has Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy. Chekhov from Star Trek. Uh, to, I, I'm so not <laughs> I'm so not into Star Trek that I was almost unfamiliar with saying the word Star Trek. I saw Star and I'm like, oh, it's gonna be wars, obviously. And I said Star Trek. <laughs> uh, Tony Tony Stark says uh, Tony Stark from Iron Man. Smart Brother from Undercover Brother. <laughs> Uh, Mike has Lex Luthor and Mr. Glass. Corrine has Alan Turing in the Intimidation... Imitation. 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 Imitation game? Yeah. Imitation game. <laughs> I enjoy Sherlock Holmes, too. I have my favorites, but any of them is good in a pinch. Looking forward to Glass. All right. Movie geniuses. Yeah, Rockhound from Armageddon, played by Steve Buscemi. Because I'm a genius. That's his line. <laughs> uh, Doctor Strangelove? Yeah. Like the, the character of Doctor Strangelove? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of one of the three, uh, Peter Sellers. Yeah. Characters. yeah, I'm having a hard time thinking of uh, of the others. Movie geniuses. Uh, let's see those those babies and that that baby genius. Baby genius. Oh right, that's my that's my <laughs> yeah, answer. All of them. That's, that's those. Uh, it's like a five way tie for one. How about uh, Wayne Zelinsky from Honey I Shrunk the Kids? 
I mean, he made a, 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 a shrinking device in his home in Pasadena. How about Doc Brown? Oh, of course. They, they called him a, cr- uh, a crackpot, though. <laughs> <laughs> All geniuses are crackpots. Yeah, this is true. Well, if you think of them, just shout out randomly as we go. How about, uh, what's his name? Kenneth Branagh in Wild Wild West. He made a giant tarantula, so that probably requires some smarts. And he was, like, really into steampunk. And not having legs. <laughs> he was a spider. I don't, know, I don't know if I'd say he was into not having legs. <laughs> I like how it was phrased. Yeah, that's He's so pretty chipper about the whole thing. He had a big <laughs> smile and his big mustache going on. You know what, though? That's, that's just on the surface. You gotta look deeper. And yeah, he may have made peace with it, but I'll bet... He still was very aware that he lacked something that just an average person had. They could just walk down the street, and he just did, couldn't do that. And so, yeah, he'll put a smile on his face, but deep down, come on, guys, you know. Yeah. I mean, he was also a bitter racist, so. <laughs> oh, who isn't anymore? <laughs> I hate most people, and why not for race reasons? That sounds good to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Take We're hour three of our glass well then moving on to the next question (laughs) what's the angriest you've been based on a big plot twist or real in a movie brian e white has you're you're asking this because there really wasn't uh, a big plot twist or villain glass right uh justin has from dust smiley yeah smiley smiley face face. he's weak emojiing at us justin has from dust uh chris has two great films but i was bummed by the twist in shutter island and fight club also high tension uh john has infinity war uh, Mike Jones has, I knew nothing of Death Proof when I saw it. I was pretty mad that stuntman Mike didn't have some of the more instructable powers or anything. Uh, Rachel has, not a movie, but the ending of How I Met Your Mother was by far the most anger-inducing. Uh, Mike has, Moon bummed me out t- at the end. Uh, why? He goes back. Mike also fi- uh, also writes, uh, Finding Out Palpatine was the Emperor, which I think Aaron had a conversation with him on. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, Maxwell has The Life of David Gale. Yes, that's my answer. Life of mm-hmm. David Gale, interesting. Yeah, that is a an awful twist that negates everything, not in a way they want. It negates everything the film was before that. And it wasn't that good, but from a thematic standpoint and is from a message standpoint, it was awful. I remember Roger Ebert gave the film zero stars. He, he hated that, that twist. And he said, I wanted to throw something at the screen. And that's from Roger Ebert. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a good movie. Not <laughs> a good movie. All right. Now we get to our questions. Uh, Mike asks, uh, should M. Night Shyamalan continue his superhero films? Um, he should he should continue with like movies uh, where people go visit their grandparents, and then there's like a small twist there. It hey. could be the people who visit their grandparents, and there's a small twist there. Extended universe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not feeling quick enough to get the entire uh, abbreviation of that. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, shoot Shyamalan, do whatever you want. I mean, ideally, something. You know, I, I had heard maybe, that he. Maybe, Maybe he something funded, with a collaborator. Yeah, with a collaborator would be great. Uh, I heard that he'd been funding his own movies. Is that true? Yeah, he, sell, he self-funded The Visit, and he basically did the same for Split and Now Glass as okay. well. I mean, I'm sure there's a bit more, you know, help uh, on, sure. uh, on Glass specifically. But yeah, yeah uh, he, uh, it's part of why he gets to do the choice. He gets to make the choices he wants to because he's put his own money against it. So. Yeah, okay. Well, the last question we have uh, that Justin asked everybody is, what's your favorite Bruce Willis performance? Um, I do like him in Moon, Moonrise Kingdom a lot. I don't even like that movie that much, but I think he's great in it. As the camp counselor? Or... Yeah. No, he's no, like a... He's the, yeah. the troop leader. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, troop Ed leader is, is Ed Norton, yeah. Uh, no, I, 
I look at that and Looper, which came out the same year, as like the last time he really gave a shit about acting. No question <laughs> yeah, about it. It helps that those are really good performances from him. I still look to, uh, I, honestly, I look to Six Sense and Unbreakable as some of his finest work, and Twelve Monkeys. Twelve I like, Monkeys. I like Looper a lot, just, but I prefer um, the other guy's performance. <laughs> Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> yeah, Jiggles? sorry. Jiggles. <laughs> uh, safe to say that we're probably not living in the uh, the Rain King uh, future, although we might be. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The let's Rain uh. King. So moving on, let's get to our let's uh, start wrapping things up here. Let's get to our uh, out and presents that's out now. These are things that are coming out on Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, and all that. Um, and feel free to give a yay or nay to any of the titles I'm about to list here. It's been a few weeks, so I got a, a few extra ones that are from a couple weeks past. Uh, first up, Goosebumps 2. I heard Haunted all right, Halloween, thanks. I think, actually. Yeah. yeah. Heard all right, thanks. Did see it, although we were both fans of the first Goosebumps, right? I was so, surprised by it. Yeah, so we should get on that. Uh, let's see, Halloween. Yeah, see it. Good. <laughs> uh, mid-90s. I did not see it. I, I, liked, I liked it a lot, actually. I saw it a couple weeks ago. I, I liked it was my third favorite skateboard film of last year but i liked yeah, it yeah <laughs> he he clearly pulled a lot from other people and uh but still made something that i enjoyed quite a bit once upon a time in deadpool uh i've already seen deadpool too so yeah, yeah same thing so i i got this on like fox sent it to me and i watched it and it was not good <laughs> like beyond the because you have the additional scenes of like fred 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 savage uh which are hit or miss as far as like hey there's new comedy here but as far as like making a, a coherent film it just it slaughters all the action like say what you will about deadpool but like i think david leach's filmmaking work as an action director i think there's some really good stuff in that and because this movie's been shifted to pg-13 it just chops it all up and makes it like just bad like a bad action movie to watch it's all edited all over the place so mm. yeah all right uh madeline's madeline uh great name i know film critics love it but um was it's a, one of the most interesting and original and unique films of, of of last year i was a big fan i, I yeah. think it was pretty excellent uh let's see the old man of the gun i really like this movie i've heard yeah i love it i love it i really love old man of the gun it's on my top uh, 10 uh first man also on my big, top 10 i was big <laughs> yeah yeah, was, yeah was technically very very well done uh, the Hate You Give is out this week. Heard good things. Better than you might be expecting. I don't know what happened to it. They barely gave it any release, and no one cared, and it's actually pretty damn good. Okay, so, so some really... really good writing, really good uh, father performances. performances. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Johnny English Strikes Again. Uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's see. And uh, Best Friends, the Tommy Wiseau movie. That already, that's already been released? I thought they were like just thinking about making that it, it had a fathom event and now it's out on blu-ray this week okay i mean good job tommy wiseau so if, you, if you're a tommy wiseau fan you want to see his directorial effort there yeah. you go. his second directorial effort right his second directorial yes. effort yeah uh, a couple tv shows castle rock season one uh heard good things all right and the purge season one purge fans okay <laughs> yeah i didn't know that was coming to tv yeah it was on it was on swifi for mm-hmm. like, weeks uh, and then some specialty stuff. Waterworld gets a new Arrow release this week. That's the one of the best shows at Universal. <laughs> uh, let's see. On Shout Factory, 10 to Midnight with Charles Bronson, okay. uh, Cobra, and uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. All getting uh, new collector's editions. Sounds good. 
on Criterion, four months, three weeks, and two days, and Notorious, and Mikey and Nikki, uh, uh, Cassavetes and uh, Peter Falk in that movie. Mm. <laughs> yeah, some stuff there. And lastly, I saw this Double Dragon is now on Blu-ray for the first time. <laughs> With Scott Wolf? With Scott Wolf and Robert Patrick. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, let's see. New to streaming this week. Fire, the greatest party that never happened. That's, that's one that you're talking about on Netflix. That's right? the Netflix one. Um, Io. I watched this. It has Anthony Mackie in it. So that is, it's like a dystopia. Netflix has a lot of dystopian direct to Netflix movies. I, I've started to notice this. Like they're really <laughs> cashing in on this thing specifically. Um, it's not very good. Um, Carmen Sandiego has a new animated series. Apparently she's not a villain, and I don't know how to feel about that. And uh, let's see the assassin. Uh, let's see American Crime Story: The Assassination of Giovanni Gianni Versace. That's now on Netflix. That thing's been winning a ton of awards. It, it's quite good. Okay. Uh, intense. Some some deep stuff in there. Uh, yeah. Let's see on Prime this week. Uh, eighth Grade is now out on Prime. That's great. You should see it. It's very good. And speaking of uh, Michael Moore, Fahrenheit 11.9 is going to be on Prime. Uh, okay. In a couple days. So there you go. Last week we can do it here. Uh, or no, sorry. Next week, should next week. What are we doing next week, Abe? Uh, next week, I think we might be doing a bunch of catch-up. If, if that's what you want to do, we can do that. I yeah. know the, the Kid That Would Be King comes out. Because um, I've heard great things about that. And I know that Alex uh, also... <laughs> go see I'm being, it. I'm, yeah. being purpose, I'm being purposely mum, because I have seen it. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. we're doing next week. So. I mean, we like the director. Uh, in any case, yeah, it'd probably be catch-up and also uh, probably featuring uh, Kid Who Would Be King. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. And last we do here, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Start, let's start with Alex. Alex, what should people see at theaters right now? Um, the Kid Who Would Be King when it comes out, because um, it's good, and it's enjoyable, <laughs> and family-friendly. Um, and what's next for me is I'm going to Sundance, so I have 34 films on my schedule to see over the next uh, 10 days, so well, that's what's next for me. We might be talking to you again pretty soon, then. We'll see. Yeah, we will. We'll set something up. <laughs> uh, Tyler, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I haven't seen anything in theaters for a while. I've, uh, I don't even really know what's out. Uh, so I'm sorry, I got nothing. All right. Okay. You seeing anything soon? Uh, well, that's the thing is over at Battleship Pretension, we're still sort of like our our end of the year coverage stretches, you know well into february and so i'm still catching up uh on that stuff so um but i will be honest the kid who would be king looked really good to me and david really liked david really liked escape room and i enjoy escape rooms and so i (laughs) i might see that just on principle i heard a lot of good things about escape room actually i want to check i want to be able to check that out before it uh that's a, I've seen some of the trailer for that. That's a giant room. How did they get them to the Arctic? And I don't know. There's a lot of questions. I, I might have to go watch it. I mean, hey, Westworld exists. They can make giant things out of stuff. I don't you know. That's a great point. Great point. I watched that movie, that show out of order, and it made a lot of sense. It made more sense. Hey, what should people see? You should see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse if you haven't seen it. Um, and then I definitely will check out uh, The Kid Who Would Be King because, uh, you know, everyone loves uh, King Arthur stories. I if, even if I'm not telling you, I'll say it's the best King Arthur movie in decades. <laughs> in decades, yeah. yeah. I mean, can you think of can you think of a better King Arthur movie in the past couple decades? Um, not a not a movie, but the show that the one where those football players travel back in time. Thanks, Abe. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Spider Verse is great. Uh, Beale Street is out, and I would say see that again. And Cold War is out, and it's limited release. I would simply say see that again. Eighty five minutes. It's not even gonna take much of your time. That's just easy. 
Um, I don't know what I'm seeing next. It's, I'm kind of in between things right now. I've seen a lot of stuff, so uh, we'll see. But uh, I look forward to seeing movies. <laughs> like, Good point. Put that out there. With all that, that's going to do it for this week's episode about Now, Theron, and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. All my written movie reviews are over there, as well as on wisetheblue.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? I'm more friends over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash moose. Hashtag, I didn't watch Glass. Uh, and also, Sub640, the podcast. Alex Billington, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, on my website, firstshowing.net, and I'm on Twitter at firstshowing, and I also have to plug my own podcast, the First Word Podcast, uh, that I run with my my friend Mike, and that's also on firstshowing and iTunes and where all podcasts can be found. Tyler Smith, where can people find more of you? Uh, you can find me at battleshippretension.com. Like I said, we're doing a lot of uh, end of year or end of 2018 stuff over there, including the recent uh, our our yearly award show the beepies the nominations have been announced uh and then various writers and contributors are <coughs> posting their uh top tens uh usually one or two a week um and then uh, also i will say this if this is an okay time for me to plug this thing yeah, okay so you mentioned my previous book called worth watching you can find that at worthwatchingbook.com uh and i decided to put out another one called cinematic suffering reviews of terrible movies and a lot of it and it was just going to be sort of a compilation of negative reviews i've written uh over time but then i thought it really i had sort of a crisis of conscience and i thought what you know isn't there enough negativity why do i have to why do i have to contribute by like focusing in on on bad movies and that caused me to think a little bit more loftily about the project and so um I will be right. So it will have reviews of movies that are not very good, including positive reviews of movies that probably aren't very good, but I still enjoy. Um, but then uh, I also will be writing some original material about the nature of negative criticism and the role that it plays uh, and that it can be a very positive, constructive thing, but that so often it it is reduced to just snark and people trying to heighten their opinion uh, in order to get clicks and that sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah, the project has gotten a bit more um, highfalutin in some ways. And so uh, I'm ex- I haven't written that stuff yet. I'm kind of reluctant to tackle it, but I do need to get it done soon. Um, and uh, people can pre-order the, the book I'm, I'm self publishing. And so uh, every pre-order helps to get the book published. So if you go to more than one lesson.com, which is my other website, if you go there, there'll be a little button that says cinematic suffering. You can pre-order the book for $20 and then that'll get you mentioned in like the special thanks. And then you'll get a, your own signed copy, uh, in probably late March, early April when, when we, uh, when I put it out. So anyway, once again, that's more than one lesson.com and I would really appreciate any, uh, any support. Thanks. Fantastic. I'll retweet that. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, of course, I mean, if you're self-publishing, I assume that this Cinematic Sufferings book is a secret sequel to Worth Watching, which leads to a third book that's a combination of the two. That's right. And it's going to be pretty lackluster. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) 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 All right. You can find all the other episodes about Now Theater Today on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. HHWLED, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Feel free to email us any thoughts you might have had on Glass or anything else we talked about today over at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Or write at us at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or twitter.com slash outnowpodcast. And of course, send us plenty of scary clown gifts or gifts of James McAvoy, who's in It, which is a scary clown movie, over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. <laughs> 
Thanks so much in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, Alex, thank you both for joining thank us. Thank you both. Discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, glad to have you guys on. Glad we had the discussion. Thanks to the listeners for listening. And that's going to do it until next time. So until then, so long. And goodbye. I'm so happy to see you all here today. What? <laughs> Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson. Yeah. Oh, I thought know. she had just uh, just chimed in. That was that was a good impression. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. I'm taking my bow right now. Straight from Studio 60. Here she is. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go and mute as you guys uh, discuss this. Aaron, feel free to text me when you guys are uh, wrapping up. We'll do. Okay. Three hours later. <laughs>